Oi, you lot, you're listening to our chamber. Episode 191. On tonight's episode, the manlings. What is an Idenath Deepkin? An elf? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, we're just talking lore. We're not talking rules. I don't care. You're talking elves. Ah, shut it. I maybe listen to this show. Welcome to the Garage Tools. Uh, for the next three hours or thereabouts, we will do our best to keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way, just like now. Bringing you Achillians, Ishrans, Namarti, and all of the wonders of the Ideneth Deepkin, I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I'm Thanos, come to destroy half of the life in the galaxy. Really? Hey, it opens this weekend. I'm excited. Hey, that's great. Hey, hey. I don't know why I'm talking like that. I can't help myself. Uh, seriously, I'm so excited for... It has nothing to do with anything, but Infinity War is here. Like, tonight, tomorrow, whenever. I have a feeling I'll be watching it multiple times because I am so excited for this. But that has nothing to do with anything. I don't get it. You don't? Not a, not a fan? I have only watched maybe four or five of the composite movies that put together Avengers Infinity War. I love the Thanos stories, so I'm super excited, and I got Thanos on the brain. So Fair. Yeah. Um, but not that anybody cares about any of that. Let's, uh, let's thank our sponsors. Yeah, absolutely. We've got some fantastic news here, folks. So we've got... Uh, so as always, you need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore! Chaos Orc Superstore! Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios for all your basing needs. And we need to talk about some new folks and some returning folks. Yes. Uh, TC War Room has been an on and off sponsor, and uh, we are talking with them right now. They would, uh, they're interested in being a permanent sponsor on the show, and I think that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Uh, friendly local gaming stores, um, they're great. Uh, TC War Room is in Michigan. It is not local for me, but no. Wayne Barry, the owner, is he's good people. He and, is, and he, is uh, very good he, people. he he was a huge fantasy player. And he's not necessarily an AOS player, but he still enjoys the show and likes what we're doing and wants to be a part of it. So um, that will be happening. We have no commercials as of yet because we still have to figure out what he wants us to tell you about. But uh, that'll happen. And uh, Alex, you got one as well. Yeah. So with the um, unfortunate closing of Unique Gifts and Games uh, in Grays Lake, Illinois, we wanted to keep a friendly local game store sponsor because we feel that that is where the community is built, where you're going to interact the most, is with your local game stores. So my local game store in Love's Park is Black Dog Hobby and Game. And they were gracious enough to come on and become the new FLGS sponsor for the show. So they're Very located excited. in Love's Park. Check out their Facebook page. They don't have a website. Um, but it's Black Dog Hobby and Game in Loves Park. Great store, fantastic staff, and we've talked about them before on the show when I did the last uh, Screw City 
the funding that we raised was to do the surgery for Andrew's dog uh, so he can help detect his seizures and make sure that he takes care of himself. So these are family friends, and this is what we really should be striving for in our friendly local game stores, to have it be a family. Agreed. So, um, You know what? Let's get to the rest of this. Um, also, let's not forget our Patreon sponsors. Because mm-hmm. we got a lot of those. What an in- We had an influx this yeah uh this week uh we got a new associate producer so our associate producer phil elliott is now joined by dwight sims we got a new executive producer we've got misty tempel we got big jake and we got nicholas nafpliotis and nicholas if i mangled your last name nafpliotis just do me a favor call the voicemail line and let me know how to actually pronounce it um and then these are sponsors um, who also joined in at various levels Stuart Patrick Gately, Dan Carlson, Kevin Armitage, Stephen Stewart, Lee Hill. I don't know if I mentioned Joe Emery before or not, but I didn't think I did, so I'm putting him in here, and if I mention him twice, that's that's good for Joe. And someone only listed as Sit, Paint, and Play. So all of those have joined the 1% who make this show what it can be. Thank you so much to everybody who's done it, who's joined in. And uh, if you're interested in possibly helping out becoming a, a patron of the show, check out patreon.com slash garage hammer. Uh, read our blurb, look at our stuff, and uh, feel free to uh, join. And um, yeah. And, and back- for, for the record, real quick, um, it's Dan Carlson, not Carlson. Are you sure? Yeah, because you played him at UGG, the closing, and right. he's one of my local guys. Oh, that's right. Okay, I think he just might have mistyped it because I looked at that yeah. and I'm like, "There's an M there," and I didn't know. Okay, no, so it it's is Dan Carlson. Okay, Dan, I apologize. I wasn't trying to mangle your name. I literally, uh, I was just, I just wrote it down as it was written on the page, and that was an M on my page. I even looked at it twice. Like, Carlson, that's not what I thought it was. Yeah, no, it's Dan Carlson. Oh, and guess what? Through the magic of time distortion and tape delay, I'm going to mangle his name at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> we only do it because we love you, Dan. I, I didn't do it on purpose, I swear. But thank you all. Like Seriously, everybody who's who's joining in and helping out. Um, I, I got more people who have you know either had to change their pledge or cancel their pledge, and they're, Dave, I'm really sorry. I love the show. I don't want you to think I don't love the show. Dude, nobody has to give us a dime. So anybody who decides to give us a dime, I'm mm-hmm. grateful. You Absolutely. I mean? So thank you so much for everything you do uh, to help us bring you this content. Um, what else? Oh, uh, I don't have one handy, uh, and we got to get on with the show anyway. However, if you want to leave us a voicemail, because, Alex, I got the voicemail set up now. Did you know we have voicemail going? We really have voicemail? I mean, who leaves voicemails anymore? People do. I do. Not to myself. So you're telling me that so you're telling me that our fans can and should leave us voicemails? I love honestly I love I I love getting voicemails. I really do. Um and if you want to leave voicemail, you can leave it at one seven five seven GH show six. That's one. Seven five seven GH show six. Um if, But Dave, what if I'm calling from the South Coast GT? Then most countries, including I believe England, dial zero zero one seven five seven 
GH Show 6. If you don't have letters on your phone, that would be 001-757-441-4696. Call us. Leave us a voicemail. Tell us how you're doing. I am expecting a call from the South Coast GT onto the voicemail, Alex. You might just get it. I am expecting one. It doesn't even have to be a drunk dial. You can just totally sober call. Oh, I totally could. Well, and, oh, Probably yeah. will. And you could put it on speaker, and then you can get all of all of uh, the guys that were here who are going to be there, the guys who were here at Akon, and they can all be like, hey, and then it would be so cool. And I'd be like, yeah, that's awesome. That's why I love voicemail. And and then they would be like, yeah, that's cool. And then I'd listen to it many times. Uh, see how excited I'm getting? It's Yeah. It's contagious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, okay, uh, you know what? Break time. Break time because yeah. we need to break because we got about three, three and a half hours of show to do if we're going to get through all this lore. Um, I know we get granular uh, at times, and I don't even know if we're going to completely get granular with this. But no. I do know that this is all brand spanking new, so there is a lot to dive into. Because where before a lot of times we go through the lore and it's like, well, you you guys know this and you're familiar with this and we know about this. Nah, this is all new, and it's and we good. wanted to make sure because like a lot of people will go right straight for the war scrolls and all the rules, but this is a new part, and we wanted to make sure that it, we gave it its right attention. Exactly, and it's so important to the development of this race. And, and we also don't want to spend eight hours this week recording over three and four sessions to include. You all know the what? Rules to... I was trying to go with like the real thing, but then you got to throw in logistics. Well, look, it's not even logistics. It, that's dude, that's a lot. And then people got to sit and listen to it, and then they complain that they don't like long shows. And then the other people are like, but I love really long shows. And then I get confused. And then I'm just like, how come nobody left me a voicemail? So just no. So yeah, we just we're gonna go on a break, and when we come back, we're gonna jump into the lore and the stories and the. I'm not going to start a Deepkin Army. I'm not going to start a Deepkin Army. I'm not. I'm going to finish what I have on the table. I'm not going to start a Deepkin Army. This is this is cool. I have never really had a desire to start an Elf Army. Yep, and it gets you. I mean, it got me. They look so good, and they look so good, and the story's so great. It is, and uh. I like Techless, and he helped make them, even though he made lots of mistakes. And uh, that's okay. We can fight about Techless a lot later and then and then ease off it a little bit. Uh, we've had so many off-air discussions about this, folks. Like, we could do a whole show on just the psychology of Techless between all the stuff we've been talking, between uh, his old appearances in fantasy and his, his role in the end times and his role in this. Um, it's... It's it's made me interested in what the elves do, which outside of just, you know, being happy Harrison was liking the game and playing back when he was eight, I couldn't care less. So this is going to be good. We will be back, and it will be awesome. See you in a minute. First there is blackness, a fathomless nothing. Yet something stirs in the void, ripples sent forth from what lies beyond. Victims do not believe what they are seeing, their heartbeats quickening even as their movements slow. Disoriented, 
They feel as though they're underwater, their vision refracting as if they peer through shifting currents. Unsure if their eyes are playing tricks, menacing shapes seem to take form just beyond the edge of their sight. And then, sliding from out of utter darkness comes the stuff of nightmares. Man-eating sea monsters out of old fishermen's tales. Rising out of the tempestuous waters, the Ideneth Deepkin rush in like the tide, bringing their eldritch seas along with them. They terrorize those who dwell along the shorelines, but nowhere, no matter how far inland, is safe from their raids. Striking swiftly, the Ideneth collect their tally of souls before retreating as suddenly as they arrived. In their wake, they leave the dead and the doomed, sleepers whose souls have been stolen, faded to soon wither and join their slain kin. The magic of the Ideneth ensures that any survivors remember little, their memories smothered by a lingering fear of the mysteries that lie hidden within the sea's depths. We are back exploring the deep lore and background of the Ideneth Deep Kid. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, this is, there's a lot. There's this book. Oh, my goodness. I mean, before we jump in, should we do just the basic stuff we always do? I mean, it's got this really fancy, schmancy, nice looking cover. And this is all new artwork. Yeah, there's not a lick of stuff that is uh, previous to this book. We're looking at a whole new race, and this is a whole new design of these miniatures. A lot of the art in here is very new. Um, like the, I think the big one that everyone is familiar with, with the different uh, Isharans, the picture with Lotan, uh, the tides, the Tidecaster, the Soul Render, and the Soul Scryer. Yes. Where it's the four of them. Um, apparently, this is the first piece of work that this artist did for Games Workshop. Really? Yeah. Well, that's bananas. That's. Yeah, and for those that aren't familiar with what we're talking about, it's page 42. You'll have seen it, you know it, and you love it. Um, but it's just absolutely stunning. That one in particular, covering all four of those characters. Yeah, but all all throughout this book, the artwork is really uh, top notch. And I mean, before we get into the lore, can we just? I mean, they go through all the stuff that we're used to, but once we get past the lore and you get all the cool pictures of the beautiful artwork, uh, I mean, the beautiful uh, models, they've got a painting guide. Yeah, they have several. The guy. Uh, which is very helpful considering this is a brand new color schemes for all six of the named uh, factions. Yep. And then they've got stuff for skin, different types of blades, different eels, the tassels, uh, doing the Leviathan skin and shell, the, the howdas, I mean, the crests, all of it. They've got painting guides for... All of it before you get into into uh, the uh, the rules after that, but yep. just tons of ideas and things here for everybody, uh, and a couple of different artsy styles that that uh, 
the picture of all the uh, the Isharan and the Achelians, the that looks like the marker art on page twenty five is really cool too. Uh, yes, that one. Yeah, you know the one I'm talking about. It's like I said, it looks like marker. It doesn't look like anything else in the book. Yeah, where it's got the Fangmora and the Knight. Uh huh. So yeah, oh, it's just sweet. We've seen stuff like that with like the Demons of Chaos uh, books that we've seen, like the Zinch Horrors. I think is a picture. Yeah, it's very similar to this style, but this is a whole lot of everything for everyone. Now, did some of this book confuse you? I think the nature of it is to create mystery, even as it's providing an explanation. Yeah. I just I'm I, uh, some of the some of the explanations in here I was just like I'm trying to picture it I'm trying to make sense of it. I realize it's new. I realize that as they put out fiction and stuff, we will probably get uh some clarity in this. But there were definitely parts where I'm just like, "Um, wait, what?" Yeah. It does have its moments, but And that's not it's not so it's more of a I mean it's a it's a criticism but it's not I'm not trying to be negative or anything I just it, to introduce uh this race and to come up they they basically uh, the explanation of the ether sea is still I'm 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 reading through it I'm trying to put all the pieces together as I'm taking notes and I'm like um there, there seems to be a little part here when we get to it. It feels almost like uh, either I'm missing something or they're just sort of waving their hand and saying magic, you know, like, you know, which is the answer that could do anything, you know. Of course. That's just that that was just my opinion, you know, that I just it's not that I'm not liking the story. It's just things that I'm not quite getting. And it jumps <clears throat> right into it in the beginning here. That's a very interesting introduction um when they come in and they it, you know it, it, it this is always that first page it gives the the basic overview the the one page here's kind of what's going on um they come in with these it talks about the waves and the, and the and the you know people start smelling salt and they don't want land or anything like this. They come in and they bring the magic of the ether sea, and it's like, okay, this is pretty cool. Like I'm, I'm enjoying the introduction. It's, it's a crazy amount of descriptions of not just the army, but it's really sort of laying out this new way to play <clears throat> because their rules are really work with the lore. And much like the Nurgle release that we had, and yes. and even to a smaller extent, I think the uh, the Nagash Legion's book uh, and the Daughters book too. Uh, yeah, Daughters too. In principle, the Daughters does because as the battle continues, they get angrier and angrier. The blood's everywhere, even though that may not happen in game. This book. The way it plays on the table is very reflective of their background. And the new mechanics that they introduce in this, it's exceptionally thematic and it makes them a very interesting army to play against. I think this one will definitely change the meta in a substantial way. Yes, uh, I think 
people are going to be caught uh, wrong-footed a lot in the beginning against this army. Yes, this is an adjustment period type army, and it's going to take a while for people to get used to it. As, I, as I'm going through and reading all the lore, and I'm kind of flipping over and looking at some of the rules as I read the lore about the different, you know, the different uh, units, I'm just sitting there going, wow, this is, this is good. Like, this is going to be brutal at times. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's harder and harder as I'm reading through this to keep to my, to my, uh, you know, my rules of, hey, I'm not buying this stuff because I've got something else I'm, I'm working on right now. Um, I could see lots of people just easily falling to, for purchasing up this army and going with it. Um, it's it's just it's so fresh and so new and so different, and the models are really nice. Yeah, even for elves, these models are astounding. <laughs> I mean, as I'm sitting looking at my four boxes of reavers. Or uh, thralls, the Eidolon. I've got four boxes of Reavers incoming. Yep. Nope. They're so you are all in, huh? I well, this one has a sentimental place. Uh, this being the first book that the U.S. team worked on from the start, right? So, and I don't know. The models are just so exciting, and I'm not nearly talented enough painter to do them all the justice that they deserve. But I'm damn sure gonna try. Oh yeah, this it's especially the, the Eidolon, just the way that those little bits of wave are just connecting perfectly to the base, and there's so much around it that doesn't necessarily connect up, so it just looks so fragile and so I mean, it, it it does look like he's coming out of the water and he's almost floating above the model. It really does. It's just crazy uh, how good these the, these armies are going to look on the table. Like, I look forward to playing to it. Get whooped or not doesn't even matter. I just want to see some, some of these nicely painted things across the table. Plus, they ain't got eyes on half of them. At least half of your models don't have eyes. Oh, I don't have to paint eyeballs right there. I almost scrapped redoing my undead and bought some of this stuff. <laughs> of course, with my undead, I don't have to do a lot of eyeballs either. No, because I totally just blacked out the eyes on the ghouls. I barely worried about the eyes on the zombies and skeletons. Ain't got no eyeballs, so there. But still, oh, that's just a great thing. Now, let's. Let's jump into some of this here. Um, now, there's a bit of a story on the bottom of page four here, and it's one of these little... little um, the box outs. Yeah, the box outs, the cute readings. I, I'm, I'm going I'm, to you know, probably throw this in as a, as a little a blurb, but you know, when, when the Ether Sea rolls in, and I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but just remind me to come back to this, because they're talking about these people coming in, and there's mists and all that stuff, and as they describe it, uh, and this guy is saying that, you know, the fog comes in and the air grew so heavy and so thick that the torches went out and it was hard to draw breath. And I'm just like little bits like that, uh, you know, as they're describing the ether sea, it's that's the stuff that starts to grab my attention. Like, is there's obviously not really water there, but 
kinda. Uh, I mean, enough that it actually affects the things around it. This is mm-hmm. this is just the neatest concept. And I know it's all this stuff built up so you could have cool underwater creatures fighting on land battles and not look stupid. Um, but it's just a neat concept. Like I just kept reading this going, wait a minute, how does this work and what's going on? Uh, it really grabbed my attention as something kind of fresh and new. Yes. It's, yeah, it's not just sea creatures that can come out on land. These are land creatures that can go into the sea as well, and then they bring the whole thing out, and they're not just on land. They're swimming in the air through the air. It's like, okay. But I digress. Um, let's jump into a strange genesis and the story of how these guys came to be. Uh, this all goes all the way back to the end times. Yes, it does. And it really starts with Slanesh. And we've seen a lot of Slanesh. It was mentioned, we haven't covered this yet, but it was mentioned extensively in the Daughters of Cain book. Yes, but we will be getting to. Yes, don't worry, folks, it's coming. So, at the during the end times, in particular the end of the Cain book, Slanesh devours most of the souls that are left on Ulthlan, including Marathi yep. and all those other ones, because he gluts himself on those. To him, they are the sweetest souls to savor. They are the most attuned to magic, etc., etc. Yeah, the heightened so, senses, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, At the end of it... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sure. Uh, so at the end of it, the last elves that survived were the uh, sailors, the ones that worshipped Matlan, who is the Lord of the Deeps. Uh, so he's a god that's been mentioned uh, throughout the uh, the old world as like the god of the seas, etc. We see a lot of the Empire even referencing him, right. but he's originally an elven god. So now, did I the, just read this? Because as I'm reading this, I thought it was saying Mathlan was gathering the souls. Uh. Of that, of yeah, he remained out of sight. Their god was the king of the storm and the fathomless depths. He had long collected his due in secret. So they weren't actually elves living in the water. He was collecting the souls of them as they die. Those who worshipped him, collecting them to himself. Is that? Am I correct in that reading? Um, I think it's a combination of both. Okay. Uh. And so they're all under the sea with him. And when the world that was gets shattered, obviously, you know, the earthquakes and, and breaking up of the planet. So the seas drained. And when the seas drained, all Mathlan math and all these souls and things he had around him, Slanesh was like, oh, look, there they are. And so apparently he kills Mathlan and eats the rest of them. Yeah, it's um. I imagine more that when he devours the souls of those elves that worshipped him, he then killed the god in that process. But I don't know. He could have consumed Mathlan, but then why haven't we seen the Mathlan? Well, I, did, I didn't think he ate him, but I thought they said he killed him. So I, I didn't mm. know. I don't know if he killed Mathlan and ate all his peoples, or ate his peoples and then killed him. Yeah, destroying the sea god that sought to protect them. So yeah. he must have defeated the god. So, 
Uh, and then you get to the part, and some of this stuff is talked about in Daughters of Cain, our new elf gods, Teclis, Tyrion, Malarian. Uh, they all managed to prison Slanesh between Hish and Ulgu. Uh, and then they start extracting the souls. And as ye ate last in, first out. Since they're coming back up the way they came in. So all of these souls of Mathlan worshipping elves were the ones that were first coming out. After Marathi. Well, Marathi got out on her own. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she apparently crawled through all these things because she was eaten way before them, but she wasn't about to sit around. No, um, not her. Uh, and then once they had him captured and all that, then they managed to uh, start pulling them out. And um, apparently they didn't get all mixed up down there. It was it was they. These are the first guys getting pulled out now. These souls that are getting pulled out, Tecla, they're each supposed to get a share. Teclis gets some. Malarian gets some. I'm assuming Tyrion's getting some. Uh, Marathi gets a little bit. Um, but that's another story. That She's not even really mentioned in this book, but she is mentioned. This whole thing is mentioned quite a bit in her story, where she plays a much bigger role in the whole getting out of the souls. But she is not really mentioned too much here because these aren't the ones that she received. So Teclis gets these souls, and he basically tries to recreate them as the elves of old, these, you know, beautiful, noble, wonderful creatures. He gives them bodies, um, and he builds them this big, beautiful, uh, luminescent city called Lairiu. Lairiu, I think that's what it is, and that could mean Bright Haven or City of Reflection, but that's what he builds them, uh, and they are called the, now, how do we pronounce this? Is it Sithai? I think it's Sithai. Sithai, which means the awakened, okay? Now, this part I really like. Now, I I am a Teclis fan. I liked how hard he worked to try to save the world at the uh, in the end of the last book. And um, hmm. you, you don't? I think he bungled the whole process, but that's just me. Oh, he was on the edge of winning until Manfred turned and screwed him up. I mean, he was... Was he Was he really? Seemed like it. They were headbutting head Archeon. Things were going their way, and then, but you could only hold so much magic. Uh, and when, I, when Manfred started stabbing people... Manfred stabbed one person in the back. He stabbed Balthazar Gelt. Yep. And that's what undid it. Yep. But the village idiot still had plenty of opportunities to do this the right way instead of doing the secret connivy, let people sacrifice themselves, or intentionally get your niece murdered to revive Nagash, etc., etc. He could have done a lot better job of everything that he did, but hey, you know, he bungled it. It's hey, it's easy to armchair quarterback on him. The guy's, you know, he do, he does quite a bit to screw everything up. Nah, nah, don't start that nonsense. I'm just saying, if you got the village dunce hat, wear it. Okay, stop calling him that. We don't call him that on this show. Okay, the hat just looks the same, but well, whatever. <laughs> so, so, um. 
you know, he creates them, and there's something not quite right. Now, he's teaching them all about their past. Um, he's actually hoping because the elven gods, they they don't seem immortal. Their stories, all I mean, they can live for a long time, but they seem to go through these cycles of, of life, death, and rebirth. So he's hoping that even though it's been quite a long time and they're not even on the same planet, uh, you know, the, the, he might be able to revive them. He might be able to bring the elves back to the glory of old. That's that's sort of his plan. But these guys aren't quite right. Um, they're withdrawn. They grew resentful under Teclis's tutelage. I, I, I don't. I'm not certain why they resent him. It doesn't quite explain what happened there. Um, but they're fighting. They're splitting into factions. And he's looking at them, and he sees there's something. There's some sort of thing. There's something wrong with them. There's some darkness that even his insight can't see into. And he basically, it literally says that his inner eye could penetrate anything given time. Yet these, they had shadows in them that he couldn't see. And he was... He was worried that there was something wrong with them, that they were contaminated, that there was a problem with them. And why wouldn't you worry about that? They'd been spent a lot of time in the belly of a chaos god. So, now, I mean, this blackness within them, this isn't like some deep, dark secret that they're trying to hide or necessarily something like this. It's just this darkness, this gnawing something not right inside them. Like, they can't... the 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 Adneth themselves can't really put their finger on what it is. There's just something not right. They know it too. Um. So Teclis decides that he's. I mean, he's going to help, right? He's going to get purifying spells. He's going to go and and find this darkness and root it out, so that there is no more uh, of this this problem, and. It, it 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 they they started acting like Gollum when you put a rope an elvish rope on him. They're just like ah, it burns. Some no, no, them, no 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 no. Oh yeah. Let's let's call a spade a spade here. You have this god that, from what we know of Teclis, is particularly pompous. Thinks he knows better than everybody. So for these guys that have historically been kind of reclusive. They didn't necessarily embrace the idea of these massive cities or this civilization because they were constantly on the maritime. That was where they were. They belonged in the sea. And that was part of who they were. So then you have Captain Know-It-All trying to explain to them how to do things, even though they don't necessarily agree with them. And then, sure, there is something wrong with them. I'm not disagreeing with that. But then you have Captain Fancy Pants deciding to turn on this magic light to see what's wrong with you, try to clean you, and it drives you insane. Well, he wove purifying spells seeking to root out the darkness. They shied away from this light of truth. Its glare sent some into madness. Yes. Which is a so, definite sign that there's something wrong. Yeah. If which, I start, you know... You know, I start, you start praying over them, and all of a sudden they start speaking in tongues, and demons start pouring out of your mouth. You know, there's a problem. 
But we don't know that's what happened. Well, we don't know that these were all necessarily maritime elves or that Teclas could have known that. I mean, we just know what's on the page. And I'm just, I mean, it's, I mean, I'm just reading this like, you know, like, like a concerned dad here. Here he created these guys and there's something not right with them. And he's trying to, to help. Them. That's how I read it. You know, obviously I read it more as he was trying to enforce like total control, similar to how Sigmar has done with the Stormcast, still creating the independence. But at the end of the day, they are the pure being and they're just not that. Well, no, they're not. But I mean, I guess if you create them and there's there's a darkness in there, a, a problem in there, he, he wouldn't you want to try and, and fix that? I mean, to a point or you work with people to figure out how you can best solve problems together instead of deciding to try to fix everything on your own like you did the last time. And that went so well. Wow. So. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I mean, I can I can see that reading of it. You're, you're totally wrong but i could see that reading of it sure so <laughs> what happens is then the remaining elves flee they scatter across the realms seeking sanctuary in the deep places of the oceans because the sea called to them so that's kind of like yep i'm thinking i'm doing okay so far so he wanted to destroy them well, because he was worried about them. His caution bid him to destroy him, for he felt in them a repressed horror, a legacy of their nightmarish incarceration. Um, or did he not want to admit that he screwed up? In creating them? No, in his process, I mean, that he did something wrong. Well, I, I don't see anything in here that indicates he did something wrong in the process. And I don't want to sit here and defend him as, you know, like just... But this darkness that's there, I mean, later in the book, it literally says it's it's a it's a curse. It's part of what Slanesh had done to them. Um, and we've seen from when they talked about even Malarian built some stuff that he wouldn't even talk about. Didn't come out quite right in some of those first ones. Um, so I don't know that he did anything necessarily wrong. You know, so much as ugh, this. There's something not right here, and you know, and then Tyrion's like, "Dude, don't you don't, dude, you don't want to wipe them out? You want to help them? You made them. You can't just wipe them out. You got to help them." And so, and thus, Teclas allowed them to escape. My question is, he shows them this light. He's trying to, you know, he's he's helped create them. He's trying to create something that reminded, you know, that was like his old, like the old high elves. And they're obviously not the old high elves. Um, and I did want to go back to that whole thing that the I, I thought I felt like the reason that he was trying to cleanse this was because it said he could basically see everything. But he looked at them and that part there was this part of their soul that his it just it was total darkness. There was he couldn't even see what it was or what the problem was. Uh, and that right there is a big red flag. Wait a minute. That's not normal. And so, you know, that I, I can't just leave him like that. There's something not right. Um but you whether you think he did it as as the as the loving parent or or as and I mean we all know he's he's a bit short tempered. He always has been. His brother's short tempered in a violence, he's short tempered in a bit of moodiness. So yes, I could see him not being the kindest or 
or politest uh, teacher God. But I still, it seems like he was just working hard to recreate this thing. Um, and this darkness in them. I mean, and there's, I think there's a lot more to this darkness in them even than we're reading in the book. They keep mentioning it. And they keep mentioning it in a very specific way um, that just makes me feel like there's something coming. You know what I mean? It's like something terrible remains buried deep in their collective psyche. There's another part where in their, their collective memories, you know, uh, their, their collective ra- their race race memories or whatever, um, there's this thing going on. There's no way he could have known about this or known how badly he was going to react, uh, especially if it's some part of Slanesh. I mean, let's face it, Marathi was in there, but was Marathi in there as long as they were? They were in there longer. She was in there longer. She was in there first, but the time she got eaten until the time the world was gone, was that as long as, I mean, because when she got out, there was still the time of myth, all the time of myth passed, and all, you know, before they started pulling, or a a big chunk of the time of myth had gone by, you know, before they started pulling souls out. That's what I, that's how I thought. So I thought that, you know, yes, she went in first, but the time between her going in and them going in was a lot shorter than the time between her coming out and them coming out. I thought. And she got turned into a snake woman. Amongst other things, yes. Well, yeah, But see what I'm saying, though? I mean, if it warped her that much, what is it doing to them? They may not look it because it ate her whole and alive, body and soul. Here it seems to be just eating some of them. It's just, just chewing on their souls. Right? I mean, because, you know, he would come after them when they died and stuff like that, too. He would eat them souls. So I'm wondering what happened to them, that it's got this blackness in it. Plus, then they just ran to the sea. So I'm assuming they know at least enough magic. Maybe they're not pulling up the ether sea because it seems like they didn't invent that magic yet. But at least they know enough magic that they could just, I don't know, make bubble heads or something, breathe underwater. This is the part that got a little confusing. Yeah, they had... uh Learn magic from Teclas that allowed them to live underwater. Yeah. But again, you're dealing with the creatures downstairs, down below. Right. And then you're also dealing with what we're going to talk about next, which is the soul aspect, right. which I think is the flaw that they're referencing is that their souls are like dwindling. And is that, and is that the darkness inside them though? Cause they all have it. Even the ones with whole souls. It's big. Okay, even, even their leader. See, and this is where it gets a little confusing, and this is what I'm trying to figure out because it's kind of fascinating. It's. I mean, I'm. 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 I'm not trying to be hypercritical. I'm just interested, and I'm trying to put all these pieces together. And I don't right. know that we have all the pieces just in this book yet. I think there's purposely pieces being left out, but that's of course that part that's getting me the most curious. Mm-hmm. Um. So. It's all right here, and we get into the great emptiness. Although they did not realize it, a curse hung heavy over the elves that fled from Taglis's tutelage. Uh, despite purification, which they'd been subjected, the souls reclaimed on a slash were irrevocably marked. They've all got, and some went crazy anyway. A state of rage, raging menace that ended in savage debauchery. That doesn't have to do with Teclas. That sounds like, oh, there's a problem there. Luckily, few suffered such degradations. There was a more permanent flaw that we found, and that's 
that their souls are broken. Their babies are all dying. As they're having babies, the babies, 1% of the babies are are living. Well, they're living, but they have a full, complete soul is what gives them the animating life force. So it's a divine spark. But these guys are not being born with whole souls. They're tainted. They're withering away. And eventually all the different enclaves realize that their race is destined to be short-lived. Yeah. And so this is where they... Oh, go ahead. Here's my question. The 1% that are, that, sur- that survive past infancy, those are the ones with whole souls? Yes. So they don't need it, but the ones who are dying in infancy are dying because they are coming out with with mangled... They're still being born with mangled souls. Yeah, they're swiftly withering. The spark comes out and it isn't as bright. Right. And then it decays and eventually perishes. Um, I also find this whole concept of their souls and their formation and what's doing it. Like, I know they were in there and they were kind of mangled inside Slanesh, but is that the corruption inside them? Is that that blackness inside them? It, it, that can't just be, oh, it's withered, so it's black. Like, that's there's got to be more to it. I'm, I, I, I just feel like something's going to happen. It's not just this darkness in them so they could be the emo fish elves. This is a hook. This is some sort of foreshadowing or some sort of plot point, I feel like. Um just because it, it points out that, you know, that it's just not right. And also, um, if if two people, if two elves with whole souls have a baby, that baby's not guaranteed to have a whole soul, is it? No. It can st- See, so that's, I, I'm looking at all this, I'm like, so how does that work? Like, you know, I mean, I don't, it's like what, even the people with whole souls, because is that darkness? Is it like almost like a recessive gene they both have so you could still have a, have a partial soul baby? Um, if anything, I think the whole soul is the recessive in this equation. Oh, I see. Okay, I see what you're saying. And, or is this just that curse, that darkness inside them? You know what I'm saying? They've been irrevocably yeah. marked. That's the curse, is that mm-hmm. everything they do has now got this mangled mark on it. I just, I'm wondering, God, I, it's... It feel if this was like a book series and I was reading this, it feels like that's there's something coming. You know, this these are it just it, it seems like something is going to go horribly wrong, and they're going to. I, I mean, I don't think they're going to mutate, or it's going to be like the thing, or like Venom, or something, where this thing inside them just expands and multiplies and takes over. But boy, that would be kind of crazy. What? I just was chaos elves. What we don't it, need that. What if we don't it took need chaos over? elves? We don't need death cast. We don't need chaos. No, we cast. don't need. We don't need death cast, and we don't need chaos cast. They're a new thing. And they should stay. But if these elves have this corruption in them, and it's it's a part of them now, and it's a corruption of Slanesh of all things. Oh. Chaos elves. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking out loud. That's why I've said, dude. I have I have been reading this like nonstop for a week. I keep going back and reading parts over and over again because this is just this is all the stuff that keeps popping into my head. I've got all these notes just because this is this is what's happening with me. This is the kind of ideas I, I start getting. Yeah, 
I think the flaw that they talk about with regards to the souls, so they figure out that the only real way to keep this from happening isn't so much a cure, is that you need to reap the souls from another being in order to continue to animate and keep the life force going in your offspring, into the yep. MRT, now, which is the ones, the thralls, the reavers, ones without the eyes and the mark on their forehead. Right. Now, that's just, that's not only just evil, but I think it's very, this is another thing that int- that interests me. Uh, this is also at the time where they take the name Ideneth, which means either extreme seclusion or desperate measures, which, oh, how ironic, desperate measures, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, like you said, they need to get they 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 their souls are withered and they're dying off and they don't know what to do. And I love as I'm reading this, they begin investigation in how to remove a soul or remove an animating life force. And I'm like, what? Okay, that's an interesting thing to 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 search out uh, and start to research, and then how to implant them as well. So, I mean, what are they? I mean. Was the plan always, I mean, did they realize they could jam a soul in there and add more soul and they'll do well? Or were they planning something else and just happened across this as a solution? Because I, I don't know about you, but that would not be my first thought. Oh, something's wrong with my soul. Maybe if I go steal someone else's and jam it inside, I'll be better. Like, it seems like something they almost happened across, but I'm certain not, but I couldn't, I couldn't match this up with why you would tr- be trying to remove it otherwise unless you're trying to move someone else's unless you're trying to remove it and and play around with it now, they could have been trying just to remove their own uh, you know look at it fix it do whatever's fix whatever's wrong with it and put it back but because they started trying to do that with like the beasts like right. the spirit stuff of the undersea beasts so they were trying it on animals first to see if it could even work but I think what they're trying to do, and I think this is part of the taint that they have, that darkness in them, is based on they are now forced to be raiders, terror, that sort of thing. And we'll, it'll come into play later when we start talking about what this book really is. But they're destined now to be these harvesters of souls because what they talk about is that they had to seek richer spirits. Yeah, the, the beast, the, the beast animals, stuff just doesn't work. Right, they dim out within no a few days. Anyway. So, um, yeah, but it they burns t- out. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But they have a mention here that souls stolen from mankind provided proved capable of sustaining Ideneth offspring. Although it took often took a half dozen such spirits to empower an elf to live even a third of its normal lifespan. So you're looking at you have to go and kill 18. and harvest the soul at least eighteen. Well, they said about six. So you figure if 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 we're going to just give it a six, you're looking at eighteen. But let's give it a six because let's assume it's Slanesh's number. Oh, that's true. But so now you need so. eighteen souls to have them live a full life. So eighteen other people have to die. So you can live. So that this one guy can live. Now, I get this. At first, it's all about survival. Look, we're going to die off if we don't do this. Hey, this is maybe. And it does actually say that they had, um, and it comes up later. It's actually in a later section. It says that they actually had some 
you know, moral dilemmas with this. But mm-hmm. they've been doing it for so long now that that whole thing is just gone. They, no, no problems with it. Listen, if 18 people got to die. Now, here's the thing. When they started doing this, and it's like, it's this or death. And it, I'm certain there were some some of the Sathai who were like, we can't do that. That's not right. Like, well, okay, fine. You don't have to. You can die. Like, you're not going to have your souls. You want us to die off as a race? This is, If you have a better option, I'd be delighted to hear it. I don't even think it came to that because this race is so insular mm-hmm. and so withdrawn from the world in a normal situation that I can't imagine that those debates lasted long. But they were there. Sure. I mean, there's because there, I mean, it actually says they were there, and so there were. There's some some of this. How should we be doing this? Um, and I understand. When your choice is extinction or or doing this, that you're going to do this, it's when they've now stopped, you know, saved off extinction, and now it's like, well, now we want to grow. We want, you know, we want to have more of us. We want to. They branch out, they spread out, and as their numbers start to really grow, they're like, well, okay, and you know, looks like we got to keep doing. You know, they're they're used to doing it, so they keep doing it. That's just they're kind of evil. That's they're not horrible. pure good. Oh, no. All. And that's one of the things I like is that they're on the side of order, but they are not good. These are guys are at best, you know, uh, you know, chaotic neutral. <coughs> you know, mm-hmm. they're going to do whatever has to they have to do, and they just don't care about anybody else. And it, that keeps coming through this, too. I mean, it talks about them and how they don't. They're not interested in anything except getting these souls, and um, that's uh, that comes back time and time again through this. Uh, is that you know they're going to survive no matter what. Now, um, before we get into the the um, well, you know, before we take a break, I just want to talk this last little bit. Is they sort of kind of go through and 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 list that because of these broken souls, um, a caste system quickly forms. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got the Namardi, which means both blessed and damned, and these are anyone who's born with with a, with the atrophied souls that they just born that way. Um, they have to extend life. Through. Now, I like this. They're second class because their souls are a patchwork of lesser beings. Okay? This is why they're looked down upon. The 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 uh, the cast of leaders, the ones who are born with whole elven souls, well, they're pure elven. These ones with the broken souls, the ones with the, the mangled souls that need to get, whether it's Sylvaneth, human Dwarden, uh, any of those types of souls, and take those. Those are orcs. You know, these are lesser beings. And your soul is made up of a patchwork of lesser beings. You are obviously inferior and lower class. Um, these are the thralls, the soldiers, the workers. Uh, I, but I love the explanation of why they're second class. It's not just because your souls are broken. It's because your body is filled with soul bits from races that we don't really approve of. I, I, I just, I love that. 
I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the intact souls are the nobility, and you've got the Achelians, who which are the warrior caste, and the Isharan, who are the priests and the mages. And that's sort of how it breaks down. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is great stuff so far. Like I said, I'm already fascinated, and we haven't gotten even into the meat yet. No, this is just the very tip. Right. So why don't we take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll jump into the deep places. Folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chess X Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. And we're back in the deep places. The deep places. Of the oceans. Yeah, yeah. Cthulhu Fitagen. What? Nothing. Uh, okay, so... The, 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 if you could not hear my eyes roll, I'll just let you know. They just did. We all know I adore Lovecraft, so when I hear we know. new places, I can't help myself. I can see my Lovecraft book from here. There I you got go. got you. <laughs> okay, so they go down into the water past even where the light reaches. And this is away from Teclas and the racial, racial memory of incarceration within the chaos god Slanesh. Once again, racial memory of incarceration. This is all stuff that's... Uh, this is all stuff that's uh, going back and constantly repeating these themes and these ideas uh, of that there's just something inside them that is connected. It feels like there's something connected to Slanesh in this. It's not just a corruption. It's a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, like I said, with, with, through the co- constant repeating, that's what it makes me think of. So, And they go down where... You can't sense anything. Um, this was an interesting description for me. Um, yeah, I was. this is what I had marked, too. Go ahead. Read what you had marked. So, it is into these depths that the ancestors of the Ideneth fled. In the short term, they sought to escape from Teclis's light of reason. But there was something more, something deeper. The Sithai sought... Escape from the horrors of their past, the racial memory of the incarceration within the chaos god Slanesh that was buried within their very souls. And what better way to escape the Lord of Excess than to flee to a realm 
where so many of the senses become obsolete. In the blackest abyss, sight is useless, touch is rendered null by the chilling cold, and emotion is drowned out by the bleak emptiness. Yep. Yep. And that just seems kind of crazy. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's just... uh, I can understand. You don't... uh, But... And I'm going to ask, are they going there... Now, first of all, you go where you can't sense anything, and Slanesh won't want to go there because he's all about sensory overload. Going to sensory <laughs> deprivation, he won't like. But are they going to sensory deprivation to hide from him, or are they going into sensory deprivation because they're afraid to feel too much because it, it draws them to that darkness? I'm, I'm going with chaos elves. I'm just going to keep falling back to that. Because I just keep seeing there's something, there's something more there than just this darkness. Because they keep talking about it, and it's ill-defined, and it's not coming in this book, but it could come any time. I'm just telling you, I'm throwing that out there. I want the credit. Um, they find the whirlways. These are realm gates at the bottom of the sea. And why wouldn't they be there? At first when I read it, I said, that sounds stupid. And then I thought about it and said, well, they're all over the place. They're in volcanoes. They're in mountains. They're in gullies. They're in, uh, I mean, they could be anywhere. One of them in the land, of, in the in the realm of beast is in a beast. Like, Yeah, it's in one of the big worms. Yeah. So why wouldn't it be at the bottom of the ocean? Totally makes sense. You know, once I gave it a thought. I mean, they, why wouldn't there be any there? Um, this actually goes and gives a quick overview of the, some of the different uh, enclaves and uh, and their names and what they are. Uh, so the largest and seemingly least unstable is the Iron Rack. They're the largest group. They're the group that tries to keep all the different enclaves sort of together and having meetings. Uh, they started in Hish, and they are they have enclaves pretty much in every realm. Yeah, but their capital is in Gairan, which is the realm of life. Right, 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 right. Uh, there's the Domhain in the realm of beasts. Uh, the Fuathan, Fuathan, Futhan. Wait, Futhan, Futhan, like Fugin. Oh, okay. From Eldar, or the Eldari, or whatever they're called now. So that's Futhin. He's the, Fugin is the fire dragon uh, okay. for the Eldari. So I, that's how I imagine it pronounced, but that's it, just It me. probably is. I just keep thinking like Fuego and things like that, like from when they, when Harry Dresden throwing fireballs. You know, that's his scream of Fuego. So I was thinking Fuath and the fire, because they're the most impulsive and the most hot-tempered. And of course they are, because they're in Akshi. And then there's the mysterious Morphan, um, or the Morphine, the Morphin in Shyish. Uh, and a little bit later, and I'll just throw them in here now, because a little bit later they mentioned there's been some splinter groups. The Nautilar, who accidentally built their city on the back of a giant sea turtle creature monster. Which apparently is really big. They built a whole city on it, and there's room for the city to grow. How big? Yeah, it's is- like a, it's like a continent spanning. Yeah, creature. it just happened to be living under the sand where they started to build their city, and then it moved, and they said, "Well, looks like we live on this giant sea creature." That's that's pretty accepting of what's going on. Well, 
I ain't leaving. These are like the people who don't go when they know the hurricane's coming. Wait, wait, what? We live where? Ah, forget it. I ain't moving again. It could also be seen as like protection because the inhabitants of the realm of girl that live on the back of the world worms, it's the same principle. Yeah, yeah. I'm just making jokes. You know that. Uh, I understand this. <laughs> and then the Loch Ness. The Loch Ness. Loch Ness. And they are the spiritual raiders from Ulgu. They're in the shadows like the Loch Ness Monster. I can hear you eye-rolling. Cut it out. It's Loch Ness. Loch Ness. Isn't that what I just <sighs> said? Loch Ness? No, you have to do the more pronunciation of the Ak. Loch Ness. Loch Ness. Oh, I get Nath. it. Ness. They're the Asasas. Okay, I got it. The applesauce? What did I just say? Man, I'm just having a bad day here. This is we a know. hot thing going on here. So the magic. Now, they get down there and they realize, hey, this magic that we learned from Teclas that is allowing us to survive under here, that's barely uh, surviving. <clears throat> it's not magic attuned to their actual problem. It's magic being used for survival and not to solve the actual problem of their breathing underwater. So uh, the Isharan, their mages, start coming up with all sorts of stuff to help them live better underwater. You got the Corallus, who can shape coral with their songs. So it's there's corals, and then there's the chorus, the Corallus. Uh, they are the builders. There's the tide casters. These are the guys who merged air and water. Hold on, where is this? The here it is. They would become the builders of the Nidneth, the Corallus, the while tide casters learned to merge air and sea so that those with lungs might cohabit the same sphere as the guild with equal ease. That's cool. I, I yeah. Mean, so they've merged air and sea. So is it what's just air, more aerated water? Like whatever's going on there. So apparently, gills, lungs, whatever. If they've done their magic on this section of the of the sea, I'm assuming it be, the magic will be more of a large bubble around a city, you know, or wherever they're at around them because you can't just change all the ocean the whole ocean right like at once i mean i would assume the magic works in an area and so now they can just breathe it like it's air and the sea creatures can breathe it like it's water and it just works and this is the part that because because this is also the people who start to bring up the ether sea which uh, I've read that description a bunch of times. I'm still trying to put together what exactly that is. Uh, and last but not least, the soul scryers who learn the best way to hunt the spark of life force. So these are the guys who can find the best uh, life force and figure out the best way to get to them and get them. Um, mm-hmm. So these are this is what we've broken down to. The pictures down here in the deep places section. 
They keep talking about how they live down where there's no light. In fact, these guys, uh, some of these guys are born without eyeballs, and who needs them because they can't see anyway because there's no light. And all these pictures show a bunch of light. Now, obviously, you're not going to put up and make a joke and put up nine bubbles and have them all be just black circles because you can't see anything. But I'm just wondering if that light is actually there or if that's for our benefit. They talk about on the rare occasion they need light, they can bring in bioluminescent fish creatures. But I'm wondering, are they really just sitting in the dark hiding from Slanesh? Or is the whole area just in the dark, but the area where they're actually doing the living, in the living quarters area, maybe they've got some lights and those lights, I mean... If I'm sitting and it's really, really dark here in the basement, I got all the lights off and I turn on one light bulb, it's going to be bright in this area and give some light, but obviously that's not going to penetrate the darkness all the way through. So it's like they could have light and still be overall in this completely darkened area. I I don't know. What what are your thoughts? Are you even following me? Am I making sense? No, no, I get it. Um, Part of it is I think they do have some naturally existing light between the bioluminescence and everything like that. Right. Um, Cause and I don't think they're necessarily completely light-deprived, but... There's just a lot of talk uh, about how they don't need it, and they're trying to get away from it, and I'm just assuming... Because, like you said, there are bioluminescent... There's literally bioluminescent creatures. I mean, we've seen them. I mean, in, from sea exploration, down past where light reaches, there's glowy light things, and they don't light it all up. They light up a small area. I could mm-hmm. I could see that area of their little city or their capital being lit up and that light not going much farther. I'm just right. curious what you thought because it does constantly harp on the fact that they don't need any light. I don't think they need it, but I think by the same token, you find a certain comfort in it. Sure. Even if, you know, you had techless try to kill you with it, but... Just saying, <laughs> but that's the fear. They're they're afraid of the god that hunts them. He's not and hunting then, them though. No, 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 no. no. That's Slanesh. Oh, okay. They're afraid of the god that's hunting them, and they're also afraid of the god that tried to save them. If you want to put it air quotes, or the one that created them, even though he didn't do a good job, but. Yeah, because they're crummy. They're awful. Look at that broken soul, evil rock. Reflection of the people. guy that tried to do it. Nah, nah. But, <laughs> no, no, accurate. But any events. <laughs> okay. Um, we got, This is going to go on. We could talk about this forever. There's so much stuff here. Not enough for definitive answers, but enough to get into some good conversations, I'm thinking. Um, yeah. Let's jump into Unseen Menace really quick. Uh, mm-hmm. This is where it talks about they... Oh, there is it. To simply sustain their undersea empires, each enclave must secure a tremendous number of souls. However, for them to grow their kingdoms, more required. Although the first of the Aideneth struggled with the moral dilemma of wresting the life force from others so their own kind could live, such considerations have long since worn away. All through the Age of Chaos and into the Age of Sigmar, they have launched their raids. It has become their very way of life. So they've basically become desensitized to the fact that they have to kill a dozen and a half other beings so that they may live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're looking at, what, 99% of them are born that way, they said? Yep. So, yeah. So 
one out of you know every hundred doesn't need that. Uh, I do like some of the cool descriptions in here as they talk about them. They don't care about the empires of uh, those land empires and all of their their. The, the, the build your empire as big as you want. We're down here. You can't get down here. You can't find us. You can't see us. Uh, they don't care about your politics. They don't care about any of the stuff of other races. They they it, they they call it obsessive isolationism. They're not haughty. They just don't want anything to do with anybody. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that. Um, then you start getting really cool little other descriptions in this section. This section really starts to get fun. Uh, you get the Tidecasters. The Tidecasters can get them just about anywhere. They can. They are masters of current and motion. So apparently they can speed up the currents so they can just jet, jet out across huge sections of the ocean way faster than they should be able to get. It's like, I'm not just swimming, but... The actual water is moving in. It, basically, you can be swimming downstream all the time. No matter which way you're going, the water is going with you and zooming you through there. They can get them up any river. So if there's any water connecting to the ocean leading inland, you can get you right up there and to where the good souls are. Um, now... That's not the only magic, and this is really, this is the stuff that gets neat, is they don't just get you all through the water, they're, uh, the the Isharan spellcasters and the Eidolons of Matlan, their magic makes the survivors forget them, um, but not just forget them, there's, apparently can also drive them into a panic, this is some really cool stuff, uh, very end of page 14. Though the Ideneth are masters of clouding their victims' memories using the bewitching magic of the ocean deeps, their own history has taught them some experiences are so horrifying the mind does not need to be compelled to suppress them. And maybe that's part of it. You know, uh, maybe that's part of why when he shined that light on that dark area, some of them went crazy. I, I think it's more if you're going to be standing... In watching your mom's soul get ripped out of her body by a talon hook, that that might do it. True, and you may not get that, but it just says they know full well. They know from experience. They know their their own history has taught them. Some experiences are so horrifying. So we're not talking at this part about what they're doing and what is happening to their victims. They know that some things just get repressed because they're too horrible. And I'm thinking they know from experience, and that might be pretty interesting. And that would explain a bit and maybe why they went mad. If I start dredging up repressed memories, I mean, I'm no therapist, but I, I've, I've watched movies with therapists in them. And I'm not trying to beat a dead horse with this, but these are the little clues that I'm picking up on. This is that, you know, the repetitiveness. When an author is going to repeat certain phrases and certain things over and I'm not talking about their names or things like that. I'm talking about these themes that keep running up. You know, they know too well about repressed memories. Well, that could be a part of it. You know, oh, you turn the light on. That would explain some of that. Like I said, I'm no therapist, but I would, you know, from what little I understand, bringing up repressed memories is something that is slightly dangerous to the psyche of the person. So, I, well, especially if you do it the way that 
Knucklehead did it. By what? A purifying spell? I don't know how else you would do it. But then again, I'm not an elf or a mage, so I could be. He could have. He could have been ham-fisted about it. I don't know, but he seems to be a a quite a master of magic. So I would think that he could produce some more subtle arts if he wanted to. But I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm just going with what I'm reading here. Um, and I guess part of it is your your personal perception of Teclas would be your perception of how this goes. Or you just really love this race and you just want to be angry at Teclas with them. So, you know, that could to be To be too. fair, it, it does achieve both of those things, but, <laughs> um, no, Teclas, God bless him. Uh. No one else will take him. Anyway. <laughs> So, all right. So, uh, what else is in this part? Oh, in the Age of Chaos, talks a bit about the Age of Chaos. They are even they get even more secretive. Once Chaos attacks, they are like, you know what? We're really glad that we're down here where no one can find us because that's pretty stupid. What's going on up there? Um, in fact, this is okay. Now, you're not blaming Teclas for this. These guys are not just obsessively isolationist. They're getting paranoid at this point. They don't even know where each other live. When they have the big assembrals and the Iron Rack King uh, calls these big assembrals, uh, they go take circuitous routes there so to make sure that whatever direction they're coming into the assembral from, you can't trace that back to where they live because they don't trust each other even. They trust nobody. Um. I do like how, as they're attacking things, and, and the whole part about how there's all this wreckage and plunder, because they don't care about your gold and your jewels and the food and stuff that's all on your ship. They're just dragging it all down and getting your souls, right? Mm-hmm. So this stuff starts to pile up around their cities, because you got to bring your plunder back, apparently. And this stuff starts piling up around the cities, which suddenly, when you have a giant... You know, reef of wreckage piling up, all the, the you know the toss offs of whatever they drag down there. This cover that it provides, uh, wherever there's a big area like that, sea monsters will stalk through that. You know, to be stealthy, hide through this, attack things. So now you not only have this all this wreckage creating a, an outer perimeter of defense, but it is now teeming with sea monsters. As another line of defense. I thought that was pretty cool. I liked that added, that little added touch. Just like, oh, that's pretty neat, too. Well, it's also defense, but it's also your city is going to be under constant attack from said things. Right. So you've got all this stuff around it, and it's creating a line of defense. But those creatures that are living there, uh, obviously, they're they're outside the the you know the city proper. Anything coming towards that city proper, before you even got there to see it, you'd be attacked by sea monsters. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. did I read that right? Unless you're one of the sea monsters in the graveyard of ships that some new sites, hey, look over there. Yeah. No. That's what I meant. The sea monsters in the little graveyard of ships, if anyone's coming towards that before they get to the city, because that's in a ring around the city, then you're. it's like, oh, look, sea monsters attacking you. I thought that's what it. I thought that's how it was describing it. I think it's one of those that it's both because they do describe that their cities are under constant assault from oh. sea monsters. Oh yeah. Well, right. Yeah. 
Plus, you could just come from above, you know. But I, I guess mm-hmm. suppose they're saying if they're looking for attacks from other things that aren't sea creatures, those sea creatures add an extra layer of defense. Okay, I think we're agreeing. I think we're just saying it differently. Yes. Um, now the first big issue comes up. They get kind of, sort of found by a group of Slanesh demons uh, led by a Keeper of Secrets Slish. I uh, got that. I think I got that right. It's two S's. Slish. Uh, he goes in there and they attack and the idol on a Mathland just beats the snot out of him and sends him out. But now he's seen them and he knows that they're there. Like, not exactly where, but he knows that they exist and they're somewhere down there. But mm-hmm. he's banished back to the that realm so it's not a big deal for about a hundred years and this is where it kind of gets cool I thought this was this was a fun little bit of the story so they're they're hiding out they're defending their areas and suddenly the magics they're using um, Archeon picks up that there's this strange weird magic happening and he's not certain exactly where or what, but he's deciding to investigate. Uh, as he's investigating, he comes across the true name of Slish, and boom, now you work for Archeon. Um, and so, of course, then now Slish knows something's there, so Slish tells Archeon. Archeon sends the Skaven to go look for him because you could gnaw hole your way into the sea and the not have it drain into your null hole because that's how those things work. So they can kind of get in there and, and at least look around. I don't know if they can jump out and be in the water, but at least they can gnaw hole and, and look through. Um, most of the expeditions of these Skaven, though, just totally disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, a few don't, though, and they do get they do manage to identify a few places, and then you start getting these attacks. Um, and and then um, you're gonna get you're getting some battles. They're gonna start battling for their land. Uh, quick question. Yeah. The all points. It does not. It's it does not collect to the. Uh, it does not collect to the world points. I suppose it's not the all world points. It's just the all points. Yeah. Because I thought the all points connected to all the realm gates. Or is it just a certain realm gate in every realm? And this It's is... a certain realm gate in every realm that connects at one center point, which is the eight points or the all points. Okay. I wasn't certain and I didn't feel I was too lazy to go back and read it all and find it in the books. I didn't have time for that nonsense. I just couldn't remember if they went in through one main gate and locked it off from the realm in general, or if they could use the all points to get to any gate in the realm once the realm itself was open. So, all right. So, no. not, okay. So there's, there's nothing, no problem there. Um, this, here we go. But because all of a sudden they're being hunted by Archaon and Slanesh and their Skaven and anybody else who's coming around. So now they got, They've got to go on more raids because they got to replace warriors that have been lost. Um, now, you can only replace so quickly as you can make babies, I'm assuming. So do they? I know the old elven races didn't breed as much, apparently, or as often as, as like humans do. Um, 
So are they breeding more, and that's what they're talking about, and they just grow up quickly? Or are they bringing some of these guys back? Are they catching their souls as they're being destroyed and somehow bringing them back? I'm not certain it's, if it's even important, but I was curious. I think it's a combination, because if your percentages of success is based on the number of babies that you have, regardless, you're going to want to reproduce more. True. To try to obviously improve the quality of your race, but then there's no guarantee that even if you have, again, two full soul elves, that they're going to have a full soul kid. So, but by the same token, these are the, the Marti are obviously your grunt infantry, they're also your builders, they're your working class. So, these are the guys that you still need regardless if you're going to be expanding, repairing, and trying to maintain. So you're going to need more soldiers. Yeah. So because of that, they got to go on a lot more raids. And when you start raiding much more often, suddenly those rumors that, because it does actually say here um, that some of their raiding, they would raid only every couple of generations, the village, so they would let it, they wouldn't wipe it out. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. just like, you know, when you, you and your, when you've got cattle or anything, you don't eat all the cattle. You have to live some cattle alive to, to breed. And, Mm -hmm. but now their, their rating has to go up. So suddenly, guess what? They're trying to stay secret. They get seen by Archeon. They get attacked a lot, which causes them to raid more, which means now everybody knows about them. Um, to some, it was the myths of old come alive. Uh, to others, it was simply confirmation of something they long suspected. More importantly, it represented a chance to strike back against the raiders who had attacked them and then fled so quickly back into the impenetrable sea. So I kind of like that. Some people are like, we knew they were real. I knew it. And, and, and now we, we're going to get them. We're going to get them back for that. So not everybody likes them. Not everybody looks at it as a good thing that, you know, yeah, great. We confirm the existence of something horrible because, and I'm not saying, I know you love this race. And honestly, I think they're fascinating too. I think you could tell that, but I think anybody on the receiving end of their visits would at the very least consider them horrible. So Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to bag on them. I'm just trying to take that, the, you get that that worldview of them. Um, right. Then the Age of Sigmar starts, and he tries to ally with them, as did some of the others. Now that they're there, we know they're there. Let's try to bring them in and get them to help fight chaos with us. Um, these are super fragile alliances. They and <laughs> they. They will rarely ally up. They don't care about your land. They don't care about your empire. They don't want money. They don't. They need souls. And it's hard to ally with people that you may be raiding sometime soon. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a very fragile uh, alliance at best. Because, yes, we're your friends, but we may... It's kind of like... Uh, with uh, when the different chaos gods and they talk about how the attacks are happening, and when they were sieging, they were trying to siege uh, the siege uh, besiege Azir, and you had Corn and Nurgle up there fighting, and then when there was nothing left to fight, the Corn guys just attacked all the Nurgle guys because blood for the blood god. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
uh, kind of the same concept. It's kind of hard to ally with you when I, you know, because we will be raiding you soon. Um, not that they would have told them that, but uh, when they did it, then the, your allies like, hey, what the heck? So, um, order, but not good. Once again, um, just such a cool. This this is just so good so far, and we're just almost halfway through the lore here. Um, yeah, it's the darker side of order. Yeah, it's the folks that don't necessarily really belong there. And I think in certain incarnations, it probably wouldn't be, but because they don't jive with chaos, they don't really like to hang out with dead things, and well, they just don't wow with the best of them. Yeah, yeah, they're not. They're not. Well, you know, destruction is is you know. It's fighting for fighting's sake, practically, you know. Mm-hmm. And so few fall into destruction. And nobody falls into death unless Linda Gash let you in, so whatever. Um, should we talk about the Deepkin at war? Yeah, we can. Uh, this is another part. Now Now we get to hear about the Ether Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, so these guys are ambushers, hit and run, move in, move out. That's what they do. Uh, but, however, as swift as their warriors are, they are not the first thing to assail the foe. And then they talk about this, and it's just, I'm just going to read it because I still don't quite think I get it. Uh, wherever they go, they bring the magic of their kingdoms with them. Before any troops arrive on a battlefield, a strange force washes over their destination. Subtle at first, but mo- becoming more and more pronounced. The area affected by this supernatural atmosphere can range from the size of a small fishing village to that of a sprawling city and its outlying defenses. So it can be as big or as small as it needs to be. On land, no matter how far from a body of water, sea mists rise. The salt tang of the ocean hangs in the air. Underwater, the effect is equally singular as the liquid shimmers growing ever murkier as if clouds of silt were wafting in upon some alien tide. This is the ether Sea, a pervading aura of magic that lends aid to the Ideneth while thwarting the efforts of their foes. So somewhere in the sea, whatever size ether Sea they're projecting up on land, there's all it's, there's a con- it's, it's obviously there's a connection. Inside the sea, because while the land is starting to get foggy and misty and smell salty, uh, the the under the sea you're seeing silt and you're starting to see things moving. It starts to get like like almost like there's more air running through it. You know what I'm saying? There's more air. There's more dirt. Obviously, right. There's so it's like a merging of the two. Right. It's it. That's. Yeah, okay, so that's kind of how I read it. It's not like they just pick one little section and they teleport that invisibly over to the land. It's this the 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 essence, the the essence of the water is sort of what's brought over there. Uh and they can still swim through the essence of the water. They can do all the things that they do in the water, but they ain't in the water. It's this weird mix. It's like I said in the very beginning. They have mixed the water and the air so that everyone can breathe it and hear they're sort of bringing that out. Um, but there's, I mean, it literally, there's parts here, and I don't, I don't know if it's in this. 
in this section where they talk about how, um, you know, they come through and the people looking, like I said earlier, how the 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 the, the air got so damp that the torches went out under the water. <laughs> Uh, or uh, out in the ether sea, uh, people seeing it will 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 get terrified and they will make an exclamation and bubbles will come out of their mouth. Yeah, I mean, and they start to see like the rotting hulks of shipwrecks or half buried bones of leviathans. The coral reefs and the coral segments are there. The 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 fish are running through it. Um. It actually describes how sometimes, you know, it'll, but it'll move before they can, you know, some of it they run their fingers through and it sort of dissipates. It says like gossamer threads. It's like almost like smoke and mirrors and dreams. But then it says sometimes they wipe their fingers through it and all of a sudden it looks like their fingertips are gone and blood's pumping out, but not like we would expect it to pump out where the vein presses and it just sprays out. It's coming out in more of a cloud, like it was mixing into water. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's so, that's awesome. Okay, that's just really the descriptions. Even though I don't think I quite get it, the descriptions are really cool. Um, it only seems to last for a while because all the tides are involved. Even though if you're taking water up from a certain, you know, I mean, who knows? I mean, tides can't be coming out in and out that fast on all these places necessarily. But it, you know, it works as the magic reaches its crescendo. You're at high tide, and as it starts to dissipate, you go back to to low tide. Um, I just think that's a really cool thing, and it's got to be creepy. It's scary. Uh, they describe how terrifying. Here, um, some observers dismiss the first signs. Yep, um, they're sunken relics. They see we read all. The, uh, we went through all that. Many opposing warriors drop their weapons in amazement, streams of bubbles issuing from their slack jaws as they watch fish and other creatures glide from the edge of the battlefield. So. All of this is going on, and they're looking at it like, what is happening? And then, after all the ether sea nonsense, they start to feel it's hard to breathe because it probably does get harder to breathe. I'm assuming it's harder to breathe underwater, even if it's that oxygenated air. Oh, you know what that? Oh, you know what that reminds me of now? I just popped into my head. Did you ever watch The Abyss? Yes. Remember when they went into those tanks and they had to they mm-hmm. and they put that pink water in the in the thing with them and they literally were breathing water and they said to them, "Yeah, you breathed water for nine months when you were inside your mother's womb. Your body will remember." Oh, that could be like highly oxygenated water. You we we technically could breathe that. Oh, yeah, and then as you go further into the oceans, you get the pressure continues to increase so it gets even harder to breathe because you can't and that physically would be some of the magics that the elves do the, to themselves yeah. because they would yeah i was i was i was just sort of kind of ignoring the whole you'd be crushed if you were down far enough to be out of light the pressure would be enormous uh, especially if you're not wearing any protective anything, but that—that's the magics for you. I mean, I was just, yeah, I will happily write that off to magics. I didn't mm-hmm. think about that oxygenated water from the abyss until just now, but that makes total sense. And why, if you were suddenly starting to breathe something like that and didn't know it, you'd start to feel. Re- I mean, that would terrify me. Mm-hmm. That's terrify most people. Can, can we can we just stop and think about that part for a moment? Don't think about. The Devkin. Think about being any of the races 
that are being attacked, and this fog is rolling in, and you're starting to get weird, you know, these illusions that of of things floating around like they're in the water, and suddenly you're seeing bubbles coming out of your mouth, and it's hard to breathe. Uh, you're breathing, and but it's uncomfortable. It's hard. You're feeling that, like you said, that pressure. That's got to be horrifying. I'd be scared. It has to be disconcerting. Yeah. Especially since you're feeling like you're underwater, but you're not. Right. Yeah, I mean, you look around, and that's and that's got to be even more upsetting because your senses are telling you certain things, and your your sense of sight is telling you something completely different. Mm-hmm. So after this all happens, and the ether sea rolls in, then the Namardi thralls and the Reavers attack. Bowfire, you know, big, ugly, cruel-looking weapons. Um, and then when they finish, then you got the Achelians on Leviadons, which are the giant turtles, the Alapexes, the sharks, and the eels as well. Because they describe this as coming in in waves. First, you've got the water just coming in. And that's terrifying mm-hmm. enough. And then suddenly, through all this, what looks almost like an illusion, suddenly it ain't an illusion. People are dying around you because some of those things that look like they might have been illusion are coming out, and they're not. Um, and as there, and everything happens in waves. It's a hit and fall back. It's hit and fall back. It's all hit and run. So these guys come in and attack. And after they're done with their attack, as they start to pull back, then you, like I said, you got all the all the. The beast riders, the Achelians, come in, and that makes people run because, okay, sharks are scary, or shark equivalents are scary enough as it is. Um, if you get yourself sharks floating in the air in front of you, towards you, that's got to be really scary. Now, actually, no, it doesn't because you automatically think Sharknado. But if you take Sharknado out of the equation, that's still scary. Giant eel, some guy riding giant eel right at me through the air. You know, hey, um, I don't, I don't know that I'm not running, and we're still not even done because they're still hitting and fading back. First the water, then the thralls and reavers, then the Achelians. Oh, and by the way, in between all these waves or attack are all these illusions and shapes that start flickering and fluttering past you. And you've already been attacked, so you're looking at all these things now, and you're waving at them, and the illusion, you know, your fingers are going through it, and it's the mist is breaking up, and the illusion dissipates. But the paranoia ramps up, because you know there are real things out there, and you're not certain what's real and what's not. It's the fear. Yeah. Because I think there's an inherent fear, just within our own psyche of the deep places, of what's down there. Oh, we sure. don't know. Oh, sure. And no, it's not that's... knowing. And when you're confronted by the real fears that you have. And it's not your element. And it is obviously their element. They're, you know, it's, it's partially very scary because there's no way to defend yourself that, we, that you have against this. Nothing effective. Right. You know, you're but it on is your, turf. your element. Yeah. It's now being taken over by them. Right. So it ramps that fear up one more notch. So it's, I think it's part of the identity crisis I have with this particular book, because you look at some of like the paint schemes, especially the Iron Rock, where it's like very distinctive of the old world elf-looking people, 
Well, and they, they, they still, don't. They ain't acting like it. No, they're not. But they still came from there, and they ain't acting like it because they got this Slanesh corruption, chaos elves. Um, <laughs> uh, now, if that's not enough, if the water or the ether sea and the illusions and the wave after wave of attacks first from the namardi and then from the uh from the Achelians isn't enough the isharans <laughs> there's mind magic will make can make you forget that you even saw them but it also can induce panic Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just, hey, we invented a way to make you forget. It's it's mind magic. They can mess with your head. So if you haven't panicked yet, now we're going to ramp up the tension by by breaking your mind with just this panic-inducing magic. Um, and then those elves in the mask with the scythe hooks start coming in, and as you start running, they're just coming up behind you and mowing you down and sucking out your life force with their little sword like you're playing uh, Dynasty Warriors or something. Um, God of War. Or God of War, yep. Even uh, though they're more like Reaper, like a scythe. Yeah. It's... Dude, it's kind of crazy. And now they're harvesting souls, and then you got a, an Isharan with spirit sights finding the really good, strong, healthy souls and making them glow bright so everybody attacks them. This just... You know, every time you read one of these battle tomes, you hear about, you know, these different races at their best. You know, like, oh, look, if they when they attack, they do this and this and this, and they're nigh on unstoppable. And you hear it literally in every book. Mm-hmm. But this one, it's just, it's bonkers. Like, I'm reading this going... Really? Do they just literally always win? Because it seems like they've got every single base covered. You know, and then it does actually even point out, and let's not forget, they're elves. Everything they do seems faster and perfect and well-timed and elegant than anything that the other races are doing. So they come through with uh, supernatural abilities and preternatural skills. It's just how they don't just do whatever they feel like whenever they feel like is beyond me. It's kind of crazy. Well, they're elves. I mean, they're called prick ears for a reason. (laughs) Uh, And then, and then, because it's still not done, then they send in the Eidolon of Mathlan, um, who comes in, and the Eidolon is just a really cool character. We're going to get to that when we discuss the different lores of each unit. But when they said where this guy comes from, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, he's definitely not one of those that shows up every time, but Oh, but he he'll shows be in every up, army. <laughs> oh, he'll be, yes, there will be several on the table, I'm sure. Yeah, um, it's so cool. Uh, and then finally, after that, they beat the strategic ret- retreat. Uh, whether it's because the ether tide is receding, or they got enough souls, or they're just avoiding a bigger battle, nobody knows. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. And they don't. They just they fade back, and then they're gone. Yeah, and th- it's a fighting retreat, and they're running the last bits down to try to get the most souls possible. So here's my question: They. 
it says how things like they, you know, they'll go, they can get farther inland if there's rivers and stuff. Are they literally going upriver and coming out of the water? Because, like, I could, I would assume that even if it's kind of a shallow river, they can get up it. And I just picked, you know, I, it, it would look ridiculous if you got some small little river and they're all just like swimming down it. I'm just assuming as long as there's water there, whatever they're doing. In the in the sea portion of the ether sea, like that part wherever they're, uh, you know, like when it, when it described what happens when it gets all silty and stuff under the sea, I just assumed they're all there, which is as mm-hmm. close as they can get. And as that ether sea sort of, uh, you know, is it, it, its its essence is conveyed to the land, they're just coming through it, just like some of the weird images and visions or are they literally all just supposed to be jumping out of the water i don't know it just seems i think it's a combination of both yeah like i can't wait for some black library on this i can't wait for um something that that describes this in better detail um it because it's just it's to me this is the fascinating part um it's it's doesn't make sense quite, but I I just I, I just I just want to know more. And <laughs> that's what really was so much fun about this is I just want to know more. Um, last little bits uh, in this before we take our next break and uh, get to the non space space timeline timeline. Um, all the creatures that they use. Uh, who knew you couldn't domesticate deep sea monsters? That's yeah. <laughs> now this part to me reads so much how they described the Drici in previous editions in the world that was, because they didn't take animals by forming partnerships; they broke them. Right. And this one, like, there's a quote in here from one of the embalers, embalers, which is sort of like a jailer, um, is that we soon learned that the best way to halt rampaging sea monsters was to employ our own. And you can't... <laughs> these, these types of animals are not to be domesticated. I mean, you can have a turtle. You can have a pet fish but you can't get it to respond to your call. No, they're, yeah, or they're, yeah, you can't they're entirely too wild. Those. Their brains are too simple. They just cannot process this. No. So exactly. they, there are some creatures that form willing bonds with them, like the octar or the deep mares, uh, which are like hippocampus or hippocampi type creatures. Right. But for the rest of them, in order to, bolster their military their military strength to enhance all of these properties, they had to like take over and almost enslave these creatures. Oh, they absolutely do. Now uh they form a new school of Isharan called the Embalers. And the embalers basically break them mentally. They use their mind magic on these poor creatures and break their minds. 
So, and there's there's probably some physical, but I mean these things. I, I don't think the physical works on them because they are crazy vicious. And if you just beat them, they're not gonna. You're not gonna beat these things in a submission. Um, no. So they break them with mind magic, and then they found out. Oh, that doesn't quite work. Oh, you have to blind them. They can't see what they're doing. They have to be blinded so their minds are broken and then you can jump on and you can lead them through the force of your will to do what you want because they can't see. There is a general disregard of all other life forms that this race has that I don't really recall in the other races other than the Dark Elves. Mm-hmm. Um these big creatures, they, we need them. So guess what? Get in there. Break their minds with magic. And then blind. Now, I don't know if they're literally blinding them or if they're just putting helmets on them, blinders, like when you, when you, like before you go, you know, if you got a falcon or something like that, they put that hat on it. I think it's like a falcon or like blinders on a horse. Yeah. Because I don't see any without eyes or anything like that, but they all seem to be wearing that big helmet that's covering up their, their face. So. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to blind them. And you know what? And they figure, well, you know, we're down here where you can't see anything anyway, so what's the harm in blinding them? What? <laughs> yeah, it's just, oh, they're so awful. But they're so cool. But they are really awful. Um, yeah, this is where I really like the identity of this army, is that it's got that nobility sense of purpose for... Like that high elf, but it's still got the terror taking over domination of will yeah. aspect that you got from the dark elves. It, but it's but it's it's familiar, but it's not close to the same. It's very new. Mm-hmm. It's something different, and that's part of what really. Uh, I was never a fan of the dark elves. Um, they're just. I couldn't side with something that evil. Like chaos is just evil, but that's its nature. It is what it is. Uh, the dark elves choose to be this way, and I always had a problem with that. Um, same thing with like the you know the the witch elves and stuff. Their their viciousness is just like. If you go all the way back to when we covered some of the dark elf books, that was always my confusion. Like, how do they even survive as a race being that vicious? Um, and here you got some of something that that similar flavor. Um, it does talk a little bit about the in this, and I want to, before we wrap up for for this segment because we've been going a while. Uh, I'm on like page 19, and it says throughout the stronghold they use the 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 beasts for work too. These bond beasts for work. It says in the rare instances where light is needed, luminar fish are floated into position. So they got that. They're bioluminescence able to brighten even the largest abyssal vaults. Uh, rock brewing, drool fish. I mean, they use all these different things. Um, then it talks about, and this is the one part I said, wait, what? The arcane charge of the Stora is drained to power many of the fanes of the Isharan, while the molten discharge of the Fuyadon is channeled to to fire the forges uh, but then they really they really uh, excel in war so there's a molten discharge from some sea creature some creature is dis- discharging lava 
or some molten metally thing. And apparently they have it fires the forge. Apparently they have fire forges under the water. Uh, this is the one thing I read and went what because that sounds like like the physics of SpongeBob to me. Um, that's the one I, I'd like to I'd like to get a little more explanation of that just because of that part. Um, I don't know unless you got a different take on it. No, there is no other way to take that. Magic works. Okay. Yep. Magic works. Okay. Because magic. And then you've got it talks about how their their cavalry is awesome and they can just plow through stuff no matter what. Um, basically, those eels are fast and slippery eels. The alapexes are basically armored, aggressive, more dangerous sharks. And then, of course, mm-hmm. you've got the Leviathans, the just giant moving fortresses. Awesome stuff. Um, and they're still doing this. And to this day, the Embalers are still seeking new creatures they might bind into service. Or in other words, if we come up with a new cool fish model, they're going to find a new thing to ride. And I'm like, that sounds good to me. I still wanted a Kraken. Oh, who doesn't? Just saying. Um, why not? You know, fish men are cool. Um, so that's that's how they battle. Um, when we come back, we've got the uh, not space timeline, but just sort of like a long list. There is so much stuff because they're putting out a new race. There's so much stuff to fit on their little timeline or history line that it's basically just four pages of, hey, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll come back to that. We'll talk about the Isharan and the Achelians, uh, the basic military structure, and the the six enclaves that we've been introduced to. Um, and that'll, yeah, that'll be the next segment before getting into talking about the lore of each of the units. So uh, we'll be right back. Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. And welcome, welcome, welcome back to the 
Deepkin lore uh, episode. Great googly moogly. Underwater empires. So no space timeline, huh, Alex? No, I was really surprised that they took away the space timeline, but for trying to establish this new race, I, w- I think it works better this way. Yeah, I was not surprised when I realized it's basically four solid pages of text. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, they got a lot. They can't. They can't do. They can't waste space with all the little circles and stuff. They're just going to have to uh, run through it now. I don't. I don't think we need to hit every point on this um, because a mm-hmm. lot of it is actually rehashing stuff we've already said or are going to say. You know, absolutely. Age of Myth raiding the shipping lanes, then coastal raids. There are some cool story bits here. Uh, the Iron Rack wipes out uh, entire fishing villages and then goes after these Duarden. And people come in and they find uh, Sleeping Duarden and no gold or gems touched. It's like, because that's not what they're there for. Um, mm-hmm. Did any of these things really jump out of you? There's cool stuff here that I like. Um, um, but I don't know There was one. Which one? Uh, I'm trying to find it because I lost it. Um, there's one in here, the Elf Wars, where it talks about... Uh, the conflicts between the Daughters of Cain and the Ident of Deep King. Yep. Um, and how the Futhan and the Domhain show a preference for stealing elf souls as opposed to other races because they think that those souls are superior. Yes, because why would you put an inferior race's soul into your body if you don't have to? Yeah, and this wow. is the first one that shows up in the Daughters of Cain book to hint at Ident of Deep King. Yeah. It's the opposite side of the coin. Right. Um, there was some interesting things here. They talk about, uh, you know, Volturnus earns his kingship by, in, the, in, this, in this war. Uh, I like how uh, all the missing fleets and the wiped out cities aren't credited to the Deepkin during the age of... Uh, chaos. Yeah, Chaos gets all the blame for that. Um, of course they do. Here's one I like from the Age of Myth. The White Blade. Yeah, and I like this because there's a lot of storylines in here that you could run with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Gwith Banrionic, the first and many say greatest of the Domhain queens, leads a soul raid on the Sylvaneth inhabiting the coast of Gyran's Tendril Sea. Legendary general falls in battle after Alariel herself arrives to aid the beleaguered forest folk. The famous Ban Mahar, the White Blade, enchanted by Teclis himself, is lost during the hasty retreat from the enraged life goddess. Since that time, many questing parties have been sent from the Rundar seeking the lost sword, but no sign of it has yet been found. Some say Alariel herself keeps the heirloom, for the Ever Queen proves immune to their enchantments and has not forgiven them since that day. Uh, I like that. I like that they show that certain people just can't be. Uh, put on by the mind magic, um, and that I mean they could be writing entire books about just that bit right there. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? The... There are a couple of big ones on the next page. Yes, uh, with twenty two and twenty three that I think we absolutely need to hit. Um, and the first of which that I liked was the tide of filth. Yeah. And this one has to do with the 
Bryumder, stronghold of the Green Gulch, is invaded by Nurgle's Plague Legions, who seek the hidden refuge of Alaril. Led by a triumvirate of great unclean ones, the demon armies threaten to contaminate the entire underwater fortress, and timely reinforcements are delivered by the Iron Rock, led by High King Voltornis, who himself hunts down and slays the trio of greater demons. I read that, and I'm like, Harrison. I'm like, their High King took out three GUOs on his own. And he's like, what? He did what? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy is not to be trifled with. No. And it, like they wash all the filth away with the magic of the Tidecasters. And Voltornis is seeking the Everqueen, hoping to make amends for the rift between her and the Ideneth. But... She thinks it's a trap, so she remains in her seclusion. Which is, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So it's kind of ironic that the most seclusive of races is then rebuked by someone who's trying to be just as yep. reclusive. Um, there are some cool things in here. I loved the little red tide story. Just the orcs came out in a giant, uh, the th- you know, thousands of uh, bone splitters were out on a fleet looking for big. <laughs> big game and uh, they got all sunk. Uh, what else? They talk about uh, Archeon finds out about the, the CLs which we talked about with the with the Slish story. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we don't know is the Agmar which is a descendant enclave from the Morphon is completely wiped out and its Corellium is completely past saving. I was like, oof, that's kind of brutal. Yeah. Um, also the Fuethan basically start a civil war when the Iron Rock got assembled to try to help the Morphon, because the Morphon aren't going to ask for it. Um, and it takes basically Volturnos to sort of steer them from civil war to uh, honor duels between the different leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, that stuff's cool. Now, I liked Coast of Horns. Uh, and this is just where the Domhain become the first to encounter the Stormcast when Sigmar's warriors arrive on the battlefield along Gur's Coast of Horns. The desperation of the situation, as well as their inability to sever the souls of the Stormcasts, leads them to form a temporary alliance. I think that's hysterical. These guys showed up, they're fighting alongside, and they say, hey, we can't take those souls. It's not working. Well, might as well fight with them, then. We can't, you can't eat them. Yeah, you might as well join them. Yep. Uh, let's see what else is in here. Oh, the Doom Pools that Zinch creates was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently Zinch messes with the whirlways, and so some of them spawn vortices that spew demons, and several grow to doom pools that suck everything nearby into the realm of chaos. Um, so they've got to close them because they're literally just getting... That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember hearing about that, anything like that near the regular realm gates. I was like, oh, no. Um... Let's see what else is in this timeline here. Oh, uh, the Stormcast asked the Iron Rack for help against Chaos. Uh, Sigmar sends them to go talk to them. Uh, they call an assembly and they hold a vote, and basically half, you know, a bunch of them abstained from voting, and almost all the rest of them said no. So they didn't help at all. They didn't help Sigmar or the Stormcast uh, in any the actual, you know, real way during the uh, Realmgate Wars. Which would be why we didn't hear anything about him when we were reading those stories. Right. Uh, uh, the Siege of the Great Scaphodon. Yes. This one it kind of explains why the Skaven are underwater, as it were. 
they put together a fleet of decrepit submersibles and cark ships, which are little more than the vermin-infested corpses of sea monsters. So essentially they take a dead animal, stitch it back together, make it watertight, and then essentially make a massive submarine out of it. So a cark ship is like a carcass ship, basically. Yeah. So then they use it to invade the city nation of Nautilar, which is based on the back of that gigantic monster. Um, and they use siege drills to burrow deep into the capital. The series of battles lasts for six years, and there are still Skaven inside the creatures, what it sounds like. Now, are they? Because I thought they said they wiped them out, but they had just done so much damage that they had to go through and start. But I no, could have read that wrong. There's still some stuff down there. I think they mention it later that there's still scathing. It says they're lingering. Oh, they're lingering taint remains. Mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, okay. I didn't think they meant literal. I thought they meant they just messed it all up. Um, let's see. Um, actually, oh, I, and I like that too because it was like that thing moves around. They can't get it any other way. Normally, they just go through no. the gnaw holes. Yeah. No, no, you're right. They uh, cleaned them all out. Well, I thought they did. Yeah, I misread it. Okay. Um. Oh, and now that now that Sigmar's war is doing well and civilization start growing, the Fuet then just uh, decide to remain isolationist, and rather than being allies, hey, look, you built new cities, good, more places for us to raid. Mm-hmm. Um, the draining of the Captar Sea. This is the other Skaven one. This is the one I liked. Uh, they open up a gnaw hole, which they, I guess they opened it up on the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it just all drained through, so the deepkin are completely exposed. Um, they could go find other w- underwater places to live, but the problem is, um, they escape and they get out there. But Nagash now knows about them, right. and upon learning of a new race that steals the souls he regards as rightfully his, he makes a new target for extermination. That's, this isn't even Sigmar the Soul Thief, I Want Revenge. This is extermination. Mm-hmm. Gotta love Nagash. Yeah, it's what he does. Um, do we want to talk about Slanesh first or... Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's keep it in order. We'll do the Necroquake yeah. last. That's the last big one. So, due to the machinations of Marathi, um, the trap that has held Slanesh has begun to shift. She's taking her extra tithe of souls, like beyond what she's normally allotted, because she's Marathi, it's what she does. Um, so the trap starts to fail. And sensing their patron more than ever, Slaneshi armies grow more daring during their searches, and dread fills the heart. So the Ideneth, the Ironrock call an emergency assemble, beseeching their, des- their disparate kin to join forces with the Stormcast and the growing coalition of order. It is not so much the fact that the Enclaves all share the same enemy, which sways more of them to join, that the undersea kingdoms are no longer offered the unassailable sanctuary they once did, because they're becoming more bolder and they're starting to seek them out more. Right. So that's kind of a big deal. And again, this is very typical for Marathi. She's greedy, and that screws everything up, even going all the way back. It's always been her problem. And, yeah, now they're getting messed up. Uh, And then there's the Necroquake. 
A vast spell of Nagash's creation reaches its climax, sending waves of necromantic energy coursing over all the mortal realms. In Shyish, the endless reservoirs of death magic are pulled toward a common point, a great nadir that sinks through all of the underworlds. The Yimurlok Ideneth of the Arctic Hellfrost in Shyish send warnings to their kin, but enclaves throughout the realms have already begun to feel the spell's effects. Even as the domains of the Ideneth Deepkin are assailed by the undead, pleas for aid begin to arrive from the surface worlds as many of the nascent cities of order find themselves sorely pressed by the legions of the Great Necromancer. Reluctantly, many enclaves send some of their phalanxes to aid the land dwellers. The Briamdar and the, Motlin- the Motlinians go to Elariel's aid, while the Morfan and the Yimurlok join forces to aid the Stormcast and Shyish. The Iron Rex sends troops everywhere, diverting significant resources to help the Deep Sea Kin and order allies alike. So now we're getting a little bit more about the malign portents there. Yeah. And uh, that just leads to more questions, obviously. There has to be more to the story than just a necroquake, which is, granted, it's waves of necromantic energy, so this is Nagash finally pushing himself, and this is his great plan come to fruition, but to what purpose does this serve? Besides to reinvigorate a whole bunch of corpses. Exactly. Okay, so that's it for the space timeline. So much stuff. And we cruised over it. Like that's you know, that's a quick bit. There's there's more there's more bits there if you want to dive into them um mm-hmm. yourself. Now we're getting into um some explanation of some of the uh some of the different the the two different classes. Uh, and things like that. But now we're going to focus on the Isharan and the Achelians. Uh, and, and these are all the elves that are born with their souls intact. Um, I like the, the mages. Uh, they use magic to do all sorts of stuff. Um, now, listen to this. They use magic talents for a wide range of tasks. City building, healing, soul harvesting, war. They draw energies from the fabric of the realms themselves, the seas, and the darkness in their own souls. I just want to repeat that last part. They draw power from the darkness in their own souls. They're weaving magic through this darkness. This doesn't sound good to me. It sounds, I mean, and like I said, this is a theme throughout this book. Whatever this thing is, this curse, this malignancy in them, they're, they're, they're able to channel power through it. That's never a good idea. Well, well, desperate measures. Okay. Well, like I said, I'm just I'm I'm playing devil's advocate here. Um, but it, it that that doesn't sound like a good idea, you know. Uh, no, but if that's what you need to do to survive, then that's what you have to do. Right. I'm just wondering what if down the line we're going to see repercussions for this. God, I hope I'm right about all of this. That would be really cool. Hashtag no chaos elves. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the Isharan, you know, if you're born with an comp- intact soul, they basically take a good look at you. Uh, if you got magical prowess, you go to the you go to school and you learn all about your basic, you know, the basic foundations of your magic. Then when you get a little older, <clears throat> a little wiser, then uh, you can basically pick a path of magic that you like best. Uh, many feel called to certain. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> ones. Sorry, I got a frog in my throat here. 
Uh, the Achelians, I kind of like this. The warrior elite, the lords, princes, and nobles, uh, they do straight up lots of military and tactics training and a very strict physical regime and since they live so long they do this for decades they want to make sure that these guys are ready to go um no matter who who, let's see that doesn't make any sense why did i say that uh let's see they go to the program that prepares them for military leadership uh oh i already said all this stuff no and then they pass the ritual of mahir which is an which are endurance tests yeah they have to pass this reminds me a lot of like the Ingogi from Spartan. Yes. Reference. Very uh, much so. so. I mean, this army itself has a very Grecian feel to it, but this is again taking that one step further. And the Achelians that are doing the fighting, they first start serving to man the weapons on the bond beasts such as Leviathans and the Alapexes. Yep. Um, and those that prove themselves eventually become either crew reader, crew leaders or they will uh, go on to ride their own Fangmora eel. And the king or queen is not the same thing that we would normally assume it to be. No, it's, they're like uh, a high general. Yes, it's the military commander. So it's each phalanx that it, who is led by its most experienced warrior who is named king or queen. And... This is more of a meritocracy as opposed to uh, what we've seen from elves and other civilizations in the past where it's the rule and the power descends from one generation of the same family because everyone has the same chance of giving birth to uh, an Amarty. Yes, yes, absolutely. Only 1% are born in the noble class, so just because you guys are nobility doesn't mean you can pass it on to your son because the odds are quite, frankly, completely against you having a baby who can be a part of this. So this is, yeah, like you said, this is brand new, and I like this. I like that they're working towards you, you, you advancement by merit rather than by blood. Yeah, and there's a lot of this, like, even in the older uh, High Elf army books, it wasn't necessarily who the best leader was. It was ever, like, was in the political favor, and this goes against that. This is, if you do the most work, if you put in the effort, if you are the most experienced, then we're going to go with you, regardless of your connections, regardless of your family. So that I like a lot more than the intrigue at court type stuff that we've seen with Hiles in previous editions. Yeah. And the other thing that I like about this is that this is for as isolationist and insular as they are, they are like communal leaders. They form a council between the Ishran and the Achelians to rule over the enclave. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's one person assuming power. It's a council. Uh, this is actually, I don't know if the writers are the same. Um, but this is very similar to how the Karadran overlords work. Similar, except I don't necessarily think it's a code or a strict. Set no, but of they've guidelines. got they've got councils, and it's a complete meritocracy. You want to, yeah. You want to, you want to own a, you want to run a fleet. Prove you deserve to run a fleet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like how it does point out here that their magic has not figured out their bloodlines and how they pass traits and anybody. See, and I that's one of the things I wasn't certain about till I got to that point is okay, so can only Ishuran and Achelians have can only P- 
pure souls have pure soul babies. Nope, not you know. It's not that the odds are slim. It's it could be any, it could be two Namardi can have a, a baby with a with a complete soul. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows how or why that works. So they are they are stumped, and so complete meritocracy. I do like that a lot. Um, then we get to the military structure. Yeah, and this is um, very typical of what we've seen in other army books or battle tomes, I should say, where it's you have the like the commanders form a uh, like a council. Uh, so it's called a royal council, which is a king alongside a tidecaster and a soul scryer, which is the command group. Um, and based on their enclave mission or individual skill set, any one of them might be appointed a leader, but on the battlefield, it will automatically defer to the king. Yes. But, so, they're the tact, but we already, yeah, that's, that makes sense. They're the tactical masters, they're the guys who train mm-hmm. that. So you'll get yeah. your king, you'll get a couple of Isharan. I like the Soul Wardens off on the side here because it literally says the Soul Wardens don't really go into battle. No, the only exception is uh, Lotan, who actively goes out with them. Because the Soul Wardens, their job is just to count the souls to figure out how many they need to replace, replenish, or to build. They're the mathematicians. So they're kind of off to the side because they really don't go into the battle. They're literally the accountants. Except they're, yes. they're they're accounting spirit energy and souls. Yeah, th- they remind me of the uh, Spoilpox Scrivener. Yes, from the uh, Nurgle army or, book. Or, or who's the guy who goes around? Uh, not Festus. Who's the guy who who? Epidemius. Yes, reminds you of Epidemius too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or the uh, there's another uh, the Caradhan overlords have a. He's not a character. He's not a hero in the game, but they have a guy that does a similar thing. Yes. But this time it's counting souls. So the whole formation is referred to as a phalanx, again, from the Greek. Um, mm-hmm. And it's formed of six different parts, but it's three distinctive components. It's the troops, the soul warden, who's kind of off to the side. And then it's usually uh, one to three uh, battalions of the Achaeans, which is Leviathans, Alapexes, and the Guards, which are the Fangmora eel riders. Mm-hmm. And then the bulk of the army is made up of the Namarti, which are led by Soul Renders, and then it's the Thrall and Reaver units. But they don't always go to battle at full strength because they need them to base it. It's based on troops available, those injured, those sorts of things. So not all, not all the Phalanxes go to war at full strength and um, where is it? I just saw it. There it is. Um, Furthermore, it is rare for phalanxes to draw upon all of their number at any given time. And they often leave behind troops as a garrison taking to the battlefield demi phalanxes drawn from roughly half strength battalions known as Achaelian and Namardi Corps. Yep. I like this. Uh, I also know, and that comes. This comes up later. But in the Namardi battalions, you have the thralls and the reavers. But you've also got the soul renders. They yeah. are the one Isharan that don't go with the Achelian battalions because those guys or ride, the Royal Council. Yeah. Or the, yeah, they ride right up with these guys. Uh, well, that's their job is to tend to those. Yeah. That don't fit as it were. 
Um, well, and and then, plus, they got to collect all the soul bits. They need to be right up there when these guys die. Right. And there's one part in here I really... And this whole army, when we get to the models and the rest of the War Scrolls in general, um, all Echelians, regardless of gender, perform military service entering the Azadrozar at a early age to begin their training. This is ob- obligatory, though it is not considered a burden, but rather an honor. So that's from the Achelians, and then this even carries over into the Namarti, because it's a mix of both genders in these units. Yep. And that is one of those things that we've seen... Elves have always been that way. They have, but we haven't seen this in Age of Sigmar with regards to the elves until this book. We've seen them mixed into other units, um, particularly the Eldar range has a good mix of female and male. But this is a little more so than what it has been. Because like, if you look at the previous book with the Daughters of Cain, it's all women, which nothing wrong with that. And then there's one unit of the cursed men with the Doomfire Warlocks. Right. So this is more of like an interweaving of the genders into the service, which I think is a very nice touch. I... Agree wholeheartedly. So, um, you know, what, let's jump into Ideneth. Let's talk a little bit about the enclaves. We've talked a little bit about them. Um, there are six of them, and each get a full page. And uh, we don't have to go through every little detail, but I do like that they give uh, some details about them are interesting. Uh, first, you got the Ironrack Enclave, and these guys are the most noble in aspect. Um, they look and seem more like most like the elves of old. Um, like all of their kind, they shrank before Teclis's light of reason. For even within the most perfect of the remade elves, there was something deep in their psyches so horrific they could not bear for it to be revealed. Something inside their psyches, inside their minds, inside their makeup that is horrific. Interesting. Um, they are also the ones who suggested having assembrals. Uh, they are isolationist like the rest of their kin, but they tend to reach out more than others. They are the largest, the most widespread, and they were the first, uh, enclave to unlock the secrets of soul magic. Um, and it says to the soul scryers of the Isharan, the spirits of the iron rack blaze brightest and they live the longest of any in their race. Perhaps it is their consciousness of this that compels them to maintain a dignified bearing before other members of their race. Alone of all the enclaves, the Iron Rack are led by a living Sithai, an ancient being who was brought to life by the magic of Teclis the Illuminator himself. Now, that's High King Volturnus, right? Yes. So he's he is the only enclave that ha- is actually led by someone who was created by Teclis himself and was there with Teclis. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, man, he's old. Yes. Yeah, he's old and he's pretty tough and he and he knew Teclis personally. So that's the Iron Rock. That's, those are the guys, I think, on the cover, I think. Yeah, they're the uh, typical ones that we're seeing. And they seem to have the, the color scheme of the similar to the old Hiles. old. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you want to take the domain? Yeah, so these guys are... They immigrated to the realm of beasts 
and they rejected the warnings of their ancestors. Um, and once they get to the realm of beasts, they're filled with the most savage, the seas are the most savage because it's the realm of beasts. Um, and the further down they went, the more horrific the monsters became. And it's from that journey that they took their name, which means literally deep questers. So they're constantly under assail from griffins, uh, wolf narracuda packs, an enormous crackagon. Mm-hmm. So they're too proud to seek help and could not admit that their kin's warnings were right. But instead, they just become more stubborn, more resolute, and more like savage. Um, by other comparisons, they are considered like barbarians compared to the other enclaves. Yeah, their their brutality. They 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 uh the other enclaves look at them as as they've gone primitive. Mm-hmm. That's pretty. It's pretty cool. Uh, Domhain means deep quester, which works. It's funny how all their names wind up meaning exactly what they do. Um, they're fiercely loyal masters of the hit and run attack, and their armies are built around the Achelian bond beasts, especially the Fangmora eels that still live in abundance along the steep canyon walls. Um, they were one above of the, their capital. Yeah, yeah, they were one of the first that lear- learned how to shape the living coral, and they used that to build. They're citadels. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we say we pronounce this? Fuethan? Futhan. Futhan. These are the most impulsive and the most hot-tempered. Uh, they were blamed. They're pretty much blamed for starting the Civil War <laughs> that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, nobody actually says that to their face because you'll get a fist. Uh, they raid constantly. And they raid even if their Corillium, which is the, the coral reef where they store all the soul bits mm-hmm. even if it's completely full they keep raiding um, and they're just brutal they do not leave behind children they do not leave behind sleepers you know how we they, they steal the soul from some people that don't die and they just fall asleep and wither away uh, nope kill them all they literally will kill absolutely Every single person there. They don't leave behind people to tell the tale or to make forget. Everybody dies when they attack. Um, and they are, uh, even their eels, their bond beasts, they choose the most aggressive bond beasts they can find to enslave. Mm-hmm. They're pretty cool. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's funny as we go through these different enclaves how the realms that they live in shake them. Yeah, and, and didn't we read that in a different one of the? I, I know I read that in one of the other books. How the the realms actually influence the people who live there because of the magic. Yeah, we read that through Malign Portents. That's it. Because the people that live there get shaped by the magic and the influence of the realm they live in. Right. Um, so, like this one, the Domhain, and then the Morphon, which live in Shias, so the realm of death. Um, they are cold, gloomy, dour. Um, They're the most insular. Yep. And they are very, they're like the sinister ones. These are the more Dreechy like than the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, the Morphon, which is a word that can be used to describe like a death like stare or despair so profound that it can kill. I love that. Despair so profound it can kill. I'm like, really? That's crazy. Yeah. So they have their refuge at the base of the Great Quagmire, which is a fog-shredded sea 
with oily waters, and a strange sheen seems to cover the elves of the Sonclave when they emerge to hunt. Um, so the big thing with them is that they're Isharan, specifically like the soul renders, they're particularly adept at soul magic, accomplishing in both its reaping and healing. The soul renders can raise Namarti as quickly as they fall in battle. Um, so what these guys are, they're like the reanimators. So like even just the nature of the realm of death, the concept of bringing back to life what was once dead, impacts their ability to do things on the battlefield as well. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, and now that Nagash has found them, though, he's basically got his skeletons just walking the bottom of the sea looking for them. It's only a matter of time before they get found. Mm-hmm. Because he's not happy. No. Uh, the Nautilar. Uh, the Nautilar, the guys, um, they were actually iron racks at one point, and they found this area, and there was all this broken shells and debris and drifting down. It says, like, snow from the upper levels of Maithnarsi and Gairan. They have all this material work. They build up these huge cities. They spend all this time building up this huge place for themselves to live, and all of a sudden it starts to move because that's the back of the giant uh, great uh, scaphodon. This thing is the size of a continent. That's got to be scary. You're sitting there, and all of a sudden, everything starts moving. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things I liked in this bit. Uh, once they realized that they weren't living there and that they were constantly moving around, they split from the Iron Rack and became their own peoples. Hey, we're the people who live on the back of the moving continent. Um, this thing actually left the realm of life and traveled between, I don't know if it was a gate, but how you fit a continent through a realm, uh, a world gate, I don't know. But they it swam, this this scaphodon swam out of the realm of life and into the warmer waters of Gur. Uh, just crossed the realms. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know it could do that. Uh, and now they live in a symbiotic relationship with it, uh, sort of like little tiny crustaceans on a larger, on a larger sea creature. Mm-hmm. Cleaning it, fixing it up. Uh, but in, in exchange, they've got a place to live on it. Um... And since the Skaven battle, this is the first time since they've been on here that they're not expanding the city and growing it because they're just trying to fix everything that was trashed over six years of battle on this thing's back. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. got the Briamdar? Yeah. So these guys are another offshoot that of the Ironrak that live in the realm of life. This, so this, these are the guys that inhabit the congested underwater forests of the Green Gulch. And in them, hope springs eternal, for their Isharan claim to have unlocked several secrets that might someday allow the Ideneth to revitalize their entire race. Um, and what these guys are is they wanted to get out of the claustrophobic confines, uh, or they wanted to get out of the city and get into, like, the wilds, as it were. So these remind me a lot more of, like, the Wood Elves of previous. So I think even in this set of elves you're seeing the three previous incarnations into something new um and these guys are raiders they can navigate dense terrain with ease and it's their skill of their soul scryers to find the hunt to like find the souls and they're exceptional hunt exceptional hunters um 
Yeah, there's not. They didn't give us a whole lot on these guys compared to the other five. Encores. No, they didn't. It's a half page because then you got this little box that says, "And by the way, there are other Splinter uh, groups out there. Uh, they've left, gone to find their own place." Nope. They, nobody. There are ones out there that we don't, we don't even know about. We can't tell you how many there are or who they are because you know guys leave, never come back because they just find their own place and say, "We're going to stay here now." Mm-hmm. I mean, they're so isolationist that they don't even know where they are, like where their own people are. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Um, but they they name a couple of them, uh, the Mutlinians and the Immerlock that we mentioned earlier in the not space timeline timeline. But uh, that's that's your six main factions. Yeah. Then, now, there's one word I needed to clarify that I have no idea what it means. Uh-huh. The bla- they refer to an enclave as the black-handed Morlajan of Ulgu. Now, does that mean that their hands are literally black, or does it have to do with a description of their personality? Well, the chill-hearted Ymirlok and the black-handed Morladron, I'm assuming that's more of a, a, a descriptor than a literal, um, although who knows? I haven't seen yeah. any. I haven't seen any models in this book with black hands painted. No, I mean, and granted, they're not going to display all the different enclaves because I think they want these to be the ones that you can create on your own or as offshoots using variant color schemes, so you're not locked into one particular enclave. But yep. what does that mean? Because like the black hand has been referenced, obviously, for like mafia type stuff in illicit deals. So. Is that kind of the same thing, or are their hands literally black? Because this is shadow. You can kind of imagine both. Maybe it is both. I don't know. I got no clue. Yeah, I just didn't know if you could point because you're like a teacher, right? So. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, this, this, I mean, the, I, 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 there's, I, I was, I actually was trying to figure that out myself and looking for any clues, but since they literally tell us nothing about them I had mm-hmm. I had nothing to build on from a contextual reference yeah I'm sorry I failed you um, it's okay then they show pictures of all the great whirlways in the different realms blah 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 you can look at that yourself if you want there's not a lot of info there it's just they do mention a lot of other different enclaves in here right so We're good giving you basis more names. for yeah. you yeah but it, like it's just names and Places, you know, there's no other stuff there. Um, oh, and then we finished that whole first section, and now we're getting into the unit descriptions. Let's take a break. Let's come back, and we will dive into the various units uh, descriptions uh, that's uh, here in this. So we'll be right back. the garage hammer shirt who cares about him look at that guy with the garage hammer hoodie 
That's right, guys. Nothing tells the ladies I'm one of the gaming elite like GarageWare. So hurry to garagehammer.net slash store, and soon you'll be the guy at game night that all the gamer chicks are talking about. Remember, boys, first you get your gear, then you win all your games, then you get the chicks. That's right, boys. The only gamers we notice are in Garage Gear. And we are back talking all of the extra. The descriptions of the war scrolls, the fantastic background and building. And it starts, of course, with probably the singular best model in this range, the Eidolons of Methlen. Yes, yes. Um, the ether sea ripples, and in a flash, a thousand points of silvery light appear, moving like a school of pelagic fish forming a bait ball. The shimmering pinpoint shift, reposition, and at last coalesce into a single elf-like form. There, floating above the ground, hovers the greatest weapon of the Eidoneth Deepkin, an Eidolon of Mathland, seemingly a gleaming incarnation of the ancient elven god. I'm like, oh, okay. I like that. Mm-hmm. They definitely give um, a definition to what this model is and to what it means to them because it's a combination of the two. I think it depends on the nature of the souls that are put into this. So for this is way than I thought it would be. I actually thought it just became what it needed to be. I didn't think that it depended on the souls to see which flavor it came in. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I was anticipating this to be more like an avatar. Of Cain from the it uh, kind of Eldari, is? no, from the Eldari perspective, right? And, but it, it kind of is, except their god is dead, right? So, okay, this is what happened. This is I, 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 all right. So, for I don't know if we even covered all this yet, but when Eidneth souls, even when an Eidneth dies, they they don't want to get sucked back to Slanesh or Nagash. So their souls are caught, just like they catch souls from people they attack. Um, they're caught, and they're in turn in a living coral reef called a Corillium. And the coral reef is where they store all these souls. And when you need an Eidolon, every soul in the Corillium gives off a little bit of itself. Everybody pitches in a little piece of their soul, and all of them come together and coalesce and bind together and form this gestalt of consciousness, uh, a tangible personification of ancestral memories. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a that's a really fancy way to describe it. And boy, talk about! I mean, that's a great descriptor. Um, it's it's their their race memories, like the stuff buried, buried, buried inside them. Uh, forms together to form this creature. Um, I got to say, the aspect of the storm is... I, I'm reading that one thinking that it's... This is the one that I think is so cool. At least in the description. <clears throat> this is the aspect of the storm. That is the sea as the destroyer. 
and it actually makes the model make a lot more sense even um, because it says literally they'll come rising up, fly up into the air, which is what you're, which is the pose you're seeing on the model. Then they come swooping down, crashing into their enemies, stabbing, killing, doing whatever, and then, but I, it almost sounds like it breaks into, like out of its that that elven form. Like after it hits and destroys, it sort of goes back and then reforms as it jumping out of the water again. So it literally comes in like crashing waves. It comes, boom, smashes down, then the water sort of reforms, in comes the next wave as it just keeps going, mm-hmm. jumping, you know. So I'm like, oh, that's neat. I like that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Now, were you a storm or did you say you were building yours as the sea? Mine is built as the sea. That's what um, I thought, which is why I took the storm, even though I think the storm is cool. No, no, the storm is amazing. Um, but for... The idol on the aspect of the sea, so it's much more controlled than the aspect of the storm. It's much more Ishran-like instead of the Achillean. And it's to, it's taking the dormant energies of what lies beneath the ocean, the abyss, um, that fear for those that don't live in there, the joy, the safety of those that do live there, so this one plays more on your psyche as opposed to the one that is there to destroy you. And it's taking yeah. those powers to either purposes to help, to conceal, to heal, rejuvenate the wounded, or to... And this one I do like. It's keying notes combined with gentle ripples of calm while even the most bloodthirsty warriors bewitching them into a mystic slumber from which they never wake. Waves of despair evoking the soul-crushing vastness of the open ocean leave the weak-willed helpless and fill the brave with paralyzing doubt while sudden whirls of terror amid the ethereal serfs and mighty warriors fleeing for their lives. Yeah, that's so good. I love the other description. It's, 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 it's not all jumpy and scratchy like the other one. It's got a calm nature, but don't let that fool you. The calm nature of the sea is teeming with energy and movement under just underneath the surface. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, I like that. Yeah. These guys are really, really cool. And when it's done, the constituent spirit bits return to the Corellium, unless the thing gets trashed. If it gets trashed, uh, if a soul renders not by to collect all the soul portions, then they're lost. Mm-hmm. So you could that is a huge blow. This is not something that they summon forth willy nilly. This is a in time of need type model. Yes, type yes, character. indeed. Even though it's going to be on every table, at least one. Yeah, but um, but uh, it's it is so cool. Let's talk a little about Achillean kings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these are the war leaders, um, as mentioned. Um, they're the only ones to ride the deep mares and he, the, I don't know. It's, this is the meritocracy. He has to prove himself able to lead the armies. He has to be a fantastic fighter. He has to be a tactical general. He has to be a skilled statesman. This is almost like the exemplar of what the Achilleans aspire to be. And that's what they do. 
for the Chiricalians yeah, it wants to be a king. Yeah, and the I mean it's not a king like you said, it's not the king like we see it. These are the generals in the army. And if you want to be a general, you've got to have martial skill, be a leader, tactician, inspire your men. They've also got to be a statesman because when you're king, you are part of the that you know that, part of the council. That part of the council. Exactly. It's crazy. Um some go with shield and romphaya, which is a pole arm. Some go with a shield and an astrotrom, which is a great sword. Uh, some, especially the the what are the fuegans? God, I keep forgetting. Fuethan. Fuethan. Uh They go pole arm and sword and dump the shield all together because two fighting weapons is better than no one fighting weapon. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. yeah, but that no, plays to their aggressive nature. Exactly. Exactly. Um, High King Volturnos gets a little bit of talk here. Uh, he was raised and formed by Teclas. He learned the magic and all that stuff directly from Teclas. Uh, he survived Teclas's light of truth. Uh, it seems like he won't die. Like, other elves have aged and died. Not him. Like, he's getting older, but not any weaker. Um, mm-hmm. He hasn't been killed. Legend says he was the first soul that they pulled out. That they pulled out. So, I mean, obviously not Marathi. Um, the Domhain and the the Fuitan, um Why can't I never remember how to pronounce that name? Uh, openly doubt this. Like, they're just like, yeah, whatever. You were, Okay, yeah, sure you were the first one. But even though those guys are being kind of jerks, just about all the rest of the Eidneth pretty much revere him for some reason or other. Like, he has pretty much been in and saved everybody's bacon at one point or another, and they all respect <laughs> and revere him for that. He seems pretty cool. He does, but he looks so evil. His he looks portrait, like a vampire. He does. He looks like it, a vampire, and so does the in that awesome picture on the next page. The, uh, the I think it's the is it the skull scryer is that the guy who has shark <laughs> or alaplex uh, fangs for fingernails? Oh yeah, the yeah. skull scryer. Yeah, he looks like a vampire too. Yeah, there are some aspects like that, but now I do like that he holds the blade of light and the sealith, which is a magic, which is a shield that basically absorbs and and dissipates magic. Uh, yeah. Both of them gifts from Teclas. Yeah. Teclas the Illuminator has given him both of these things. So not only is he awesome, not only does he live a long time, not only is he tougher than you can imagine, um, he also is carrying around two amazing um, weapons that came from from Teclas himself. Mm -hmm. So basically, if, if you could give just about all the good things you can give to a character... He's got it. Yeah. He's the most noble of this crazy race. He's just, he's, you know, most level-headed. He's, he's just perfect. Good for him. As perfect as an elf can get. Exactly. Uh, let's so, talk about some of these Isharan agents. Yep. So there are four distinct types. Uh, the first of which is the Tidecaster, who conjure the Aether Sea. Um, they also control the tides and can turn them upside down, or uh, they are the ones that influence that control. And they can form crushing waves of despair, um, raging maelstroms of horror, 
Um, so these are the guys that can distort and conjure the spells from the repressed anguish of the Idaneth, which is the curse that echoes still from their ancestors' torture within Slanesh. So this is the repressed Let's rage. Let's talk about that for a minute. Now, okay. uh, is this uh, this is part of that mind magic? We talked about the mind magic in the beginning. They can, uh, you know, they can make people forget they were there. But here, it's, this is not just making them forget. Here, if they tap down into their dark, cursed portion of them, the one we talked about earlier, they cannot just do mind magic. They manipulate emotional extremes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, wait a minute. This slanesh curse blackened dark spot that everybody is so outraged that Teclas even wanted to try to purge because it was obviously dangerous is not only something that they tap for these dark magics but are literally affecting extremes of emotional response does that sound like anybody to you chaos elves hashtag chaos elves I don't know. All I know is they keep tapping into this Slaneshi power. They're acting like necessarily it's power. It's the memories of the torture. But they they're inflicting it on other people. That uh, doesn't mean they're chaos elves. The repressed anguish and the the curse that echoes from their torture. That's part, it's talking back about that curse, that black piece. They mentioned it earlier. The other guys use it to manipulate their powers. I'm just saying it's a theme that keeps popping up. And but that doesn't mean they're chaos elves. I'm not saying they are. I'm saying that these guys are tainted. They're an elf. They're tainted by design. This is just a different manifestation of it. Uh, well, okay. Uh, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I I, I don't know. Uh, if I had a kid this rotten, I would try to straighten him out. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. I'm just... Uh. I'm not saying they're called prick ears for a reason. So, <laughs> it's just how it is. All right, let's talk about soul renders. I like these guys, even though it's a little bit goofy. There's there's a little goofiness here. Um, I think that's why I like them. Uh, these are the ones who fight among the Achelians, uh We mentioned earlier. Uh, they have this. Okay, so their helmet has this uh, like crest that comes up in the back and then swings out in front of them, and there's a light dangling from it, like that fish you see in like Finding Nemo and those other. Pl- you know, that's got the little- fish. That's it. So they've got this thing. And it's called a lure light, which is kind of what that is on the real fish. Uh, a strange glow that attacks and absorbing souls. And that, like I said, that like I mentioned it before, that just reminds you of a video game. Or even like if you saw, um, what's that, Ready Player One, whenever they go to collect people's coins after they die. Like it just, you get near and everything gets sucked into that, that thing. And they, they collect all the souls into this light bulb. That 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 hangs from the crest on their helmet, so that's why they got to fight right up front because they're out there killing and destroying. But as these things are dying, and the I mean that in, right in the middle of the actions where all the dying is going to take place, and they need to be there to suck up all these souls. Uh, now they actually can use these souls 
uh, to it says reinvigorate fallen Namarti, healing the wounds so that even recently struck dead might rise again. So I'm assuming that when they're struck dead and their soul goes to escape, it goes into this lure light. And then they can use some of the other bits of soul they've collected to heal the wounds and then stick that soul of that guy who just died that they go back in the body. I'm assuming that's how it works. That is exactly how it works. Yeah. Um, and then they've got the talon hook, which is the big pole arm, and they're fighting in there. Uh, they got a rope catch on the back uh, called the talon hook. Uh, and uh, what else? Uh, oh, and they got these little raker darts, a bond beast that glides at its master's feet, ready to stab prey with its sharp bill to ensure none can escape. So it's even got yeah. a little fish that rides with it and helps him collect his souls. Yeah, he is kind of like that reaper-type aspect. I mean, the model definitely indicates that with the hook. And then um, the thing that gets me about this guy is that he looks so different from the rest of them. He almost reminds me of like a Lord Castellant for a Stormcast equivalent. Right. Um, they need to be in the middle of the fighting. They're the ones that are protecting and reinvigorating their troops as opposed to leading. So I really like this model. Yes. It's one of those that when we first saw the war stroll for it. It's kind of like, what is this thing going to look like? And then, of course, it just absolutely blows my mind. I mean, there's, not, I don't think there's too much in this line I don't like. I'm, I'm not seeing any models that I'm like, oh, this one stinks. But this, I like, I like his weapon. I like the little uh, swordfish that's with him. Uh, I, I even like the big goofy lure light that hangs off his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just looks tougher than the rest of the the Isharan that we see. He just looks more just, he looks very dark elfish. Yes, he does. So, uh, then we got soul scryers, cipher compasses and dowser chimes. What you got to say about that, Alex? So these are the guys that point out the souls. They are the, uh, ones that divine the way. So there's a finders of the past. They track their targets um, and they can single out the battlefield's richest quarry, illuminating them as a prime target for the Deepkin to attack. And he's not so much a combatant. He's one of those, he reminds you of a lieutenant that directs people to the prime target, which is exactly what his job, but he also um, can manipulate the spirit paths in the whirlways to move around. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, this, I, I, it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool thing. I mean, this is the guy. Yeah, I lead you to him, and then I can point out the best souls for eating. I can spot them. That's well, what for I do. Harnessing. Well, I like. Yeah, I know. I just like to call it eating because it, it's more fun for me. Then Lotan. He's got a great like Power Rangers name. Lotan, Warden of the Soul Ledgers. So um, the Soul Wardens. They're the guy, like we said, they're the accountants. Um, this guy is, he's Lotan of the Iron Rack. Apparently, this guy is a maniac. He is like accountant supreme. And so he actually goes out to the battles to start the accounting right away. His obsessive commitment to his duty will, po- okay, okay, what? Such is Lotan's obsessive commitment to his duty. His willpower stains the ether sea. 
a presence that inspires the Ideneth, particularly the Marty, to fight with heightened zeal. I don't even know what that means. Like, I'm not certain. Like, what? His- so this is the guy that is going to be pushing you to harvest more to drive that extra effort. And for the Marty who have to do that, because they're very survival depends on it. Right. They're going to fight all the harder. But it's just his willpower stains the ether sea. That's just such a weird description to me. I was just like, I, I mean, I don't often question the wording just, uh, uh, you know, unless I don't understand. But I'm like, wait, what? Like, that was just caught me. I was like, okay. Yeah, um, because when you say it, it definitely sounds like the color that the water turns after you pee in a pool. Oh, I was thinking more of the color after your, after your uh, octopus friend inks everything. Yeah, but... The Octar Familiar, then that's the one everybody loves this model. Or you hate this model. Uh, I love it. He's got the he's got a, a knife and a spiked cudgel. Um, because guess what? Lotan ain't a fighter. No. It literally says he's been known in desperate situations to stab uh, enemies in the eye with his quill. But it's mostly the Octar that does his fighting for him. Yeah. While he's doing the ledger. It's a little goofy, but... I still like him. Mm-hmm. All right, so, um, you know what? Let's try to get these last few in and then wrap up the show, uh, actually, because this will be the rest of the lore. Uh, Achillean mm-hmm. Cavalry. Um, yeah. now so the- these guys are the elites. Um, these are the guys that go through the military program. These are the ones, the whole souls, and they're the ones that are the best soldiers, and they're the ones that... Like, they were told tales, like the Ideneth, of the elven cavalry of antiquity that rode to war atop beasts such as dragons and horses. Um, but these, regardless of their experience with Teclis and him ruining them, um, they still liked the idea of the noble knights from a bygone era, and yep. they strove to emulate that ideal. Yes. So that's why they're seeking the mounts. Right now, there's three types. You got the eel riders, and we've yeah, all so seen the models. The, yeah, they form the Achillean guard, um, and there's two distinct types. Yeah, you got two flavors. You got the Morgar, who ride with volt spears and gav shields. Uh, basically, the volt spears. Uh, the eel riders are electric eels. Go figure, and uh, they can channel that bioelectricity into their spear, which makes it stronger on the hit. And also, in, in times of need, it can fire a little short-range electric bolt out of the tip. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting, just knowing like a little bit of eel biology, they're all electric in a certain sense. It's just a matter of how they can express it. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. So these guys can tap into that electricity as an offensive weapon, both for zapping and for channeling it into their spears on the charge. Um, and then the other version, the Ishlands, um, they forego the Volt Spear in favor, in favor of a Hell Saber. Say that, put together. <laughs> um, and they channel that bioelectricity into their shields, where it manifests as a arc of ener- like an arcing energy field to turn aside enemy blows. Um, so they are substantially tougher to take down than their spear wheel and kin, but they are still just as dangerous. 
yeah. between the elf on top of it and the creature beneath it. So basically you have the more offensive or the more defensive. The spear comes in with that electric charge. It says if they come in on the charge, they can go through even the best armor, whereas the guys who give it mo- the the Ishalin, the guys who put that in their spear, that hell saber is a much faster, quicker attacks, but it's not all supercharged like the Volt Spears because <laughs> they use it with that. Um, then we got Leviadons. Big, bad, and awesome. Yeah, the turtle, as it were. Yeah, they're huge. I mean, they've got a crew on a back with a howdah, a pair of harpoon launchers. they got two bolt throwers on the back of this thing. They've got the drummer. I like this drummer thing. The drummer mm-hmm. is sitter, sitting banging the drum. That What else would a drummer do? But as it's banging it, it's causing ripples in the water, which is then distorting the light around it which makes it more difficult to gauge exactly how close it is and where it is. So it's harder to shoot it. Mm-hmm. Or shoot the things around it. Yeah. And so now it's harder to shoot it, or the th- like you said, and the things around it. If you do hit it, it's got this really thick, hard shell. Uh, and they like to throw these guys up right in the front in the vanguard because let the enemy make its fiercest and first harshest efforts against this thing because when it's coming, you're like, oh, we got to take that down. And they're basically making you waste your best attacks on this thing. Uh, and even if you do manage to take this big beast down, there's the eels and the alapexes and the Demardi all coming right next. And I think the other thing is, the way I look at it is the disregard for the Leviathan. Yes, they're rare beasts, yes, they have all these things that they do for the Ivaneth, but even if they lose the turtle, they're not losing an elf. Right, and do they? let's face it, we've talked about this, they have a complete disregard for any life that's not theirs. Mm-hmm. Whether it's it's bipedal, fish, quadruped, uh, I mean, they bolt, they bolt uh, armor onto the ends of all the fins so that it'll cut through stuff. Um, they mentally break these things, they blind them, I mean, this is, I mean, yeah, they don't care. Mm-hmm. And then we got the Alapexes, which are basically the giant shark riders. Another cool one. You want to take this one? Sure. So these guys are um, the legendary predators of the ocean. They are. It's obvious. It's a shark. Let's just call it for what it is. Um, and they were unable to tame them for its urge to kill was irrepressible. Um, so they have to go through the Embalers magic. Um, and these guys, like, form together in groups, like a school of sharks, um, to go in and tear things up. And they're drawn to the scent of blood. Um, it's just exactly what it is. It's a giant shark with two guys on the back of it. Yep. Um, the it's two, it's the, cool. Yeah, the thing that gets me is that the bolter on the back of them can have two different kinds of ammunition. Uh, the razor shell bolts can be loaded or fired in quick succession, or they can launch a net, which is, to me, both very fisherman-like, but still very that gladiatorial uh-huh. uh, from the Greek. And they're woven from siren hair. And they so strong and fine that those yeah. entangled by them are torn apart by their own struggles to free themselves. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's gross and awesome. As yeah. you're trying to get out of this net, and it and it cubes you. Mm-hmm. Ugh, so good. So again, it's playing on the fear. Oh yeah, 
and the terror, because if you're in essentially what is essentially razor wire and trying to crawl out of it, that's not a pleasant and enjoyable experience. We've all seen Saw. And if you haven't, you should be 17 or older to watch it. <laughs> Thanks for that d- disclaimer there. I'm just throwing it out there. Got to watch my butt. Uh, and let's talk about both the d- the blessed and the damned. And the damned. The Namardi. Uh, so, dude, their lives kind of suck. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, they... Now, baby Namardi, babies, uh, that's what all these souls are being gathered for, to get them into them while they're babies and get them so that they can live a normal life. Um, as you get older, maybe you didn't get enough. Maybe you don't have everything you want. Uh, maybe bits have been, you know, tor- whatever happens. Um, but, yeah, these guys, you know, they're fighting because they need these souls. These guys... And, dude, it just sucks. Uh, you read about this. Um, the, uh, I mean, they got, first they get branded on their forehead, and they got to wear a big metal collar their whole lives. I mean, talk about just, you know, they're not subtle about who these people are, mm-hmm. and they don't yeah, have eyeballs. No. And then they even then only live three to four decades, typically. Um, which is less than a quarter of the normal lifespan. So unlike now they've put it as a quantity that a normal elf will live for anywhere between, what is that, 120 to 160 years? Yep. For a normal So it looks like, a bit, you know, and I don't know, you know, maybe it's the scarcity. Maybe it's because someone's holding it over them. But if you're only living a quarter of the lifespan, you've only got about six extra souls jammed into you because that's what they said. You live about a third of your life on about six extra souls. So they're not taking babies and giving them all 18. I'm guessing you got to earn it. Yeah. And, and how horrible come. is that? Talk about Big Brother watching you. Mm-hmm. You got to earn it through merit. If you do well enough, then we'll let you live a full life. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that that is the case, but they have to do it over time because they can't just splurge all at once. That's just impossible amount of souls to claim immediately. Well, I mean, they've got them sitting in these in the uh, in the those those reefs. You know, they it, sometimes they're full. They're all sitting there waiting for souls to be put into. But maybe you only put in some. Also, these guys die by droves. Should we really be sticking them full of souls when they might not live long enough through battle right. to live the whole life? Um, I just, they don't have any eyes. That's such a weird thing. They just got skin flaps over them, which almost makes it look normal, like a mannequin or something. I don't know. It's just kind of crazy. But you got two flavors of these guys, Thralls and Reavers. Uh, yeah. You want to take this part and then we can wrap up. This is because this is the last bit of lore. Yeah. So... I don't understand part of this because the thralls make up the main body of the infantry. They're like physically perfect, like what a normal elf should be. And it's their task to screen their comrades and then engage and hold the foe in place when game-wise, that's not their job. Like to tack things down and hold them in place. Sure. 
but to screen, I just it seems really weird to me. But if you but, throw big units in front, oh, oh no, of course it makes sense in game wise, doesn't it? If you've got mm-hmm. your thralls in the front, right? They okay. can only shoot at the closest unit. Isn't that a rule? That is a rule for Forgotten Nightmares, but why am I going to sacrifice bodies when I can put a unit that ignores Rend in front of them? Uh, okay, yeah. I mean, you've played this more than I have, so I'm, I'm, so I'm yeah. totally talking out of my backside. But I'm just It just thinking... sounds weird. It sounds very counterintuitive to their actual play on the tape. Well, and that's also we're also at. if you're playing with a whole army as I mean not and I'm not saying on the table, on the table you might have units of ten, twenty, maybe thirty. I don't know how much how mm-hmm. you run them, um, but I'm picturing in in the lore hundreds of these guys, and you might only have yeah. a, you might have much smaller units of those riders, and you don't want to waste them. And plus, yeah, you don't want to waste them. Those are Achelians. Yeah, you know, Akel- why no, would you I want to lose an Achelian to a Namardi? I mean, lore-wise, it makes sense. I could see how on the tabletop, as you just mentioned, why would I do that when I could put these guys in the yeah. front? Um, but it, did, it, that, it just seems to me like, I mean, it makes sense at least story-wise how that would happen. Yeah, um, but in any event, so they do resent their lower status, um, but they realize that. Every raid, they get more souls for the Enclave, which is then more souls for them. And that's the biggest motivation for them. So they fight with these massive weapons called the Lenmari, which are two-handed swords, scythe axes, or pole arms, um, that are used to drive off the sea creatures that bedevil their Enclaves. And they're also used uh, to scythe through teeming swords of predatory fish or... Um, ranked units of infantry because their weapons are so huge. They are big. Mm-hmm. That's a big weapon. Yeah. It's still and only got a one-inch range. So, whomp, yeah. <laughs> But these things are also bigger than an average elf. Because, like, an average elf is only on a 25. These guys are on 32s. So they're physically bigger than an actual normal-ish elf. So... Just because their soul is with it doesn't mean like their physical presence is withered with it. Right. It, it may be like an overcompensatory thing. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's all seriousness. If their soul is not as perfect as their body is, maybe that's where the energy is put into. But um, I gotta so, get big to hide my withered parts. I'm not even touching that. Let's just go on. So, and then we have the Reavers, which are. Uh, scouts, they, like, the Achillians understand that they need information about picket forces, um, reconnaissance, but they feel that those things fall beneath beings of their level. So, of course, you get the Namarti do it. Um, and these are the fastest, uh, the sneakiest of the Namarti, and they fire using their whisper bows which are silent. So these are the ones that um, probe defenses, um, looking for the vulnerable spots, and harass their most formidable assets. Um, And then they're the ones that set everything up for the next hit. 
can I say how much I like that they're blind, but they because of all the little fluctuations in the water and the movement and the things that they are dead shots. Mm-hmm. Um, but they the they they're better shots when they're closer up. Yes, because everything's more condensed. Exactly. So they've got like they, they actually need to get close to be more effective. But when they get close, they're really effective. I think mm-hmm. that's really cool. I like this a lot. Yes. Um, I just, I, I, I really, I think this is uh pretty cool. So I'm, as I'm reading this though, I just, this thought just popped in my head. I'm like, hmm, what does this remind me of? Tons of, uh, practically slaves doing all the grunt work and the dirty work. And then all of the nobility come riding in on steeds. This reminds me of a race that no longer exists. Chaos doors? No, chaos doors don't come in on steeds. I'm talking Bretonian ding dong. Well, not exactly, but I just popped it in my head that as they're up front screening and doing all this work, and they're they're looked down on, and they're practically slaves. And then as I just looked, it's like, wait, who's coming in behind these guys? Then, oh yeah. The Alaplex Riders and the Leviathan Riders and the Eel Riders. Like, oh, oh yeah, it's kind of like that. They're you the Elvian the Bretelvians. Oh, my God. The Chaos Bretelvians. Way to single-handedly ruin this entire army for everybody. Yes! I rule! <laughs> Oh, if you I see, could find I've a way to trying... work in a Tomb King reference and just piss off Tyler, I would totally do that, too. I'm not saying. It's just we've all started to come to the terms that the Bretonians have kind of descended into either the Order of the Fly for, like, the Nurgle Knights, or they've gone down the tube into the Flesh Eater Court section. And now it's like, oh yeah. By the way, they could be these elves. Bertel- well, they couldn't be, but I'm just uh, just saying it's the Bretelvian <sighs> deepkin. Let's see if that catches on. It won't, but if it does and it irritates people, yeah, send me the emails. I don't care. Um, dude, that's it for Man. the lore. We got it done, and only in, in less, like only like three and a half hours. Only like three and a half hours. Well, hey, the last book we did was like a five and a half, six hour. That's why. Um, yeah. So, hey, guess what? We called this the Deepkin Part One lore. Part two is coming up next month. Uh, not next episode because Alex is going to be at the South Coast GT having a good old time. That's the hope. Yeah. Uh, well, happy. <laughs> Well, okay. You're definitely going to be at the GT. How good of a time you're having is yet to be seen. Although I tell you what. A bad time at the South Coast GT is better than a good time at work. That's my guess, you know. Oh, no, absolutely. And I'm really looking forward to this experience. Obviously, we'll be talking all about it. Um, but, no, it'll be it'll be good. I'll send my regards from Warhammer World. So Yes, no kidding. Um, very exciting stuff. Very exciting. Uh, and I'm very happy for you because I someday hope to get to leave the country. Uh, I, someday I hope my kids grow up and get out of here so that I can go leave the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's another story. Yeah, shut up. All right, Harrison's all offended. Um, all right, so you know, are we done? Should we wrap this up? I think so. 
All right, folks. Hey, listen up. Um, please remember to check out our Patreon page um, and uh, maybe leave us a nice iTunes review. Before we go, I do want to f- uh, thank our newest sponsors one more time. Uh, Stuart Patrick Gately, Dan Carlson, Kevin Armitage, Stephen Stewart, Lee Hill, uh, Joe Emery, if I didn't mention it before, because I don't think I did, but I might have, uh, Sit, Paint, and Play. And our newest executive producer, Nicholas Nafpliotis, and our newest associate producer, Dwight Sims. So many people joined in the past couple of weeks. Thank you all so much for becoming part of the 1% and making sure that basically whatever we need to do can be done. Thank you so much uh, for making this possible. Alex, um... Well, I will well, I'll be talking to you sooner, you know, when we talk to each other, but I will see you back here in about a month. Yep. And uh, have fun. Oh, of course. And uh, I may need you to get me a, I may need you to get me a uh, Bugman model if they still have them. Or, oh, yeah. Or if they got a Gotrek there. I don't know if they even still make those, but gosh, I got to find more of my Gotrek models. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. You know what is here is the end of the show and so folks until next time only the faithful will be triumphant only the faithful will stand when all others fall and only the faithful know no despair except in failure you've been listening to Garage Hand if you've enjoyed the show maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garage if you'd like to reach us you can contact us via our email address garagehammer at live.com you can also find us on twitter david is at garagehammer and alex that's me is at some kind of geek 30 original music by claire seabrook you can find more of her work at soundcloud.com slash claire seabrook music finally if you want to join the garage hammer community as well as the aos community worldwide you can comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance forums, that's tga.community, or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening.